sunny but underneath the surface lies a dark world behind your safe little havens that y'all call home beneath the surface there's an evil that festers and grows where the american dream goes dark this is the literary license podcast america goes dark episode you're a book to screen show where we head down a dark alley and discover the books the films and all the darkness in between with your co-host Leandro Gazi, Craig Johnson, David Grant, Vicky Ray, and Keith Shago. Things may look perfect on the outside, but what really goes on behind closed doors? podcast and it's american goes dark book the screen we'll be covering the book and watching the film and today's podcast will be fried green tomatoes at the whistle stop cafe by fanny flag and the film from 1991 and before we get started let's find out who's with us we got barbara van canaraman in with us hello barbara so good to see you guys nice to see you too and we got leandro gazi hello leandro hi how are you Craig Johnson. Hello, Craig. Uh, hello, everybody. David Cavallo. Hello, David. Hi, everyone. And Vicky Ray. Hello, Vicky. Hi, everybody. And I'm your host, Keith Shago. Before we get started, let's find out what we've been up to. Starting with you, Barbara. What have you been up to since last time we spoke to you? What have we written? It's been a long time. Um, well, I wrote a couple little books. One is a short story book called Duck for Cover and Other Stories. And I wrote a YA novel called five fortunes and um they're both they're both uh doing pretty well cool beans excellent oh and are they av- available at amazon and yes they are they're available at amazon barnes and noble everywhere you shop hey i'll check excellent. it out and we'll put those in our show notes for all those people who are interested in getting a copy of those thank you and what about yourself leandro what are you up to um, reading this book, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but it, it was really interesting because I was so um, catch that I, I was, I read it maybe in two weeks um, and I couldn't stop reading it. And also because they, it had like short um, chapters, it was more easy to, to get it on. Um, what else? I've been working and I started to um, go back to the allotment to start to work on the soil to get it ready for the summer. Awesome. And have a new bike. Have a driving uh, lesson the other day and towards getting the my first car. All right. Excellent. Yay. And what about yourself, Craig? What have you been up to? Um, I've been reading The Secret of Nim. And um, <laughs> you're getting, you're getting a, he's getting a head start on next year's book list. <laughs> oh, that was, I've never read that. Is, have you, do you guys have ever read that? Have you actually like that? I've, that's why I've never read okay. it. Okay. You, I haven't. Um, yeah, it's the book, um, the Mrs. Rats, um, uh, right. Mrs. Rats on the Secret of, um, and the Rats of Nymph. Nymph, yeah. Is, is that just a one? Is that a series? I'm stupid no. here. No, okay. it's a one off children's book. Well, I, I have not read that. I know it exists, I've just never read it. I've been reading the talented Mr. Ripley as well. Uh, awesome. And I watched mm. the movie last night. Oh, and, um, did. but yeah, no, I've been updating my photography on my Etsy shop, Craig's World. Just having a rebrand, revamp. Uh, but um, yeah. Excellent. What about yourself, David? What have you been up to? Um, unfortunately, focusing on work. Um, there's been You're so much, working. so much, so much work. Um, which you is say crazy. that every time I see you. Got a lot of work. No, I, I'm a workaholic. I work too much. And <laughs> in my, in my place, say, we, we only work do. And no play, David. Yeah, that's true. You're right, to be honest. The good thing is that I got into a little bit of like a dystopian movies recently. I watched a whole series of The Hunger Games. I really needed that. Yeah, I like and watching some that. Sometimes, sometimes I look, and this is going to be some very controversial, but sometimes I feel like, you know, the story, we're not getting into much details, but sometimes it feels like, you know, the story of the capital and the districts. Yeah. And it's like, is that Europe and the capital is the UK? I think it's, I think it's the USA. <laughs> I think. Oh, I didn't see it that way. I think okay. I'm pretty more sure local. it is coming to it, coming to a neighborhood near you. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got to watch the. There's another dystopian series called Divergent series. I don't know if you watched. I watched that. all those. That was a good one too. Yeah. It was interesting. I wasn't really a big fan of the acting. I would say the main character, but it was okay. It was alright. It wasn't too mm. bad. It was a good rainy day series to to bunker down with. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I, I didn't mind that to be honest. Um, the other good thing is that finally, finally, we've got a little bit of good weather in the UK. We've had good sun today, yesterday, yesterday, so and so, but we've had the two days before constant sun. And I'm in such a good mood. I've been listening to Italian music again. I missed <laughs> that. And then cycling to work and with his weather, I'm like, yes, finally, good. Because this winter has been very, very long in the UK, like horribly wrong. It's good uh, I bring you down. <laughs> like that generally, I being in a Mediterranean, being in Italian, means I get affected by the weather when there's no sun at all. It's constantly raining. I think everybody raining, gets it's depressed. It's a yeah. depressed. It's depressed. There's an actual clinical thing not having sun. Yeah, yeah it's called a SAD. I think they call it SAD. A seasonal yeah. Yeah, that's right. or something. Right. Eh? Uh, it's it's interesting. But for me, I can handle a little bit of winter. But when it gets so long to to get to the end of March, it's like okay, what 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 are the mid seasons, you know? So it is what it is. But yeah, that's a, that's about it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, if you're like dystopian young adult um, films, try The Maze Runner. That's quite good as well. Oh, yes. I remember watching many, many of the I've got to get a hold of the second one. I still haven't found it yet. There's four movies of it out. Is there four? I, oh, haven't I, found, I didn't I, know. I, I haven't found any of them. I'm going to have to yeah. go. Well, I didn't know there was four. I thought there was two. I didn't know there was four. Well, the problem, the problem with them is that they don't call themselves Maze Runner 1, 2, 3, and 4. Right, you right. You have to know what the... So, but it's continuity. It's continuity. I think one's called Scorch Trials and the other one's Ooh. called something else. So you have to look I'll for have them to for look the it titles. Up. So okay. I'll definitely have a look in that. Yeah. And what about yourself, Vix? What have you been up to? Uh just trying to help my daughter get through her last few uh whatever for the big before she graduates from nursing school. I think she decided she's gonna go and get a master's degree in nursing. We'll see what's going on with that. I'm just really tired today. <clears throat> not a whole lot other than um, was packing boxes for tornado victims, sending that stuff, doing that thing that I try to do a couple times a week anyway to make myself useful to mankind. But uh, other than watching what Salem's Lot and oh yeah, I watched some crazy movie called Your Highness with um, why well, I cannot remember his name. Oh my God, everybody knows who he is. He played. Uh, Green Goblin son and Batman. I'm having a total uh, um, Yeah, the one. The Fra- who... Franco. Franco, yeah. James yeah, Franco. he was in it. It was just an unrated. Well, Natalie Portman was in it. It was a totally uncut movie about knights, and it was it was really rude. You'd love it, Keith. I know you, you got to watch it if you get a chance. But it's pretty. It was just a fun watch for a change of pace. Um, did watch all of Salem's Lot, both versions, and we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks, I guess. But I did find a good one that I thought was pretty good with Megan Fox. And I'm not, I like Megan Fox, but I mean, I don't trip over myself to go watch her in movies. But it's called Midnight and the Switchgrass with uh, Bruce Willis was in it. It was a really interesting thriller. I actually enjoyed it. <clears throat> Watched it twice, actually, because I missed some stuff in the beginning. But it was a really good flick. Um, uh, let me see. What else were we doing? Just not a whole lot, really. Uh, watched Malibu Shark Attack. If you want to lose an hour and 27 minutes of your life, Malibu Shark Attack is for you. The only reason I hung in there is because the girl that plays Nikita was in it. It was one of her first movies. I'm, I can't not say, I can't, I'm just brain dead. I'm sleep deprived today. But other than that, not a whole lot. Just doing Easter this weekend with the fam. And like, what have you been up to? Obviously, you've been busy. Um, well, I'll pick Ferris up on Saturday from the airport, so he's here for the next 25 days. Well, less than that now. Um, sorting out our wedding plans and sorting all those out and um, just sorting out life and getting things sorted and throwing stuff away sorting. for the move next year and all that kind of stuff. So nothing really exciting. We started watching The Boys again, so we're, we're did, redoing they didn't. The Boys. They didn't come out. The, the other new season didn't come out. Okay. No, no. We're just starting with season one. And we're I'm just waiting through. so patiently for that to come out. Oh, my God. What's taking so long? So, um, and um, that's it, really. Just, just doing this and that. Ferris um, liking what, the and, boys. And yeah, he likes the boys. And we're, and we're re-watching the Planet of the Apes film series as well. So, Are we doing that? We're doing that in season eight. So we got another season to go before we get there. So, but that's about it, really. Just kind of taking it easy and taking time off and sorting things out, really. Sorting life from a day-to-day basis. It's the only and thing. Speaking, 
don't know, speak about starting through life. Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe, which is a 1987 novel by American author Fanny Flagg. Set in Alabama, it weaves together the past and the present through the blooming, blossoming, sorry, friendship between Evelyn Couch, a middle-aged housewife, and Nini Threadgood, an elderly woman who lives in a nursing home. Every week, Evelyn visits Nini, who recounts stories of her youth in Whistle Stop, Alabama, where her son-in-law, A.G., and her friend Ruth ran a cafe. These stories, along with Nini's friendships, enable Evelyn to begin a new satisfying life while allowing the people and stories of Nini's youth to live on. The book explores themes of family, aging, lesbianism, and dehumanizing effects on racism on both Black and white people. It was adopted into a feature film, Mount Fry Green Tomatoes, which was released in 1991. A television series adaption was reportedly in the development as of 2020 with executive producers Norman Lear and Reba McIntyre, who was also to star, but the series was abandoned. What we're going to do is cut to the synopsis of Fry Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe and be right back. This is a synopsis for Fried Green Tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe by Fanny Flagg. Throughout the novel, the narrator and time period change, and chapter headings establish the date and source of the chapter. The narration alternates between the form of a fictional newsletter, The Weaned Weekly, The Thread Goods House in Birmingham, and an omniscient narration. The framing story, set in 1986, presents Evelyn Couch, who goes weekly with her husband to visit her mother in a nursing home. During one visit, Evelyn befriends Ninny Threadgood, another resident. She tells Evelyn stories of her youth and whistle stop in the 1920s and succeeding years. Between subsequent visits, Evelyn begins to adopt aspects of figures in these stories as role models. Ninny says she was an orphan raised by the Threadgoods and that she eventually married one of their sons. She principally talks about the youngest daughter, Imogene Iggy Threadgood, an unrepentant tomboy who becomes reclusive after her brother Buddy was killed on the railway. Ruth Jamison comes to live with the Threadgoods while teaching at the Vatican Bible School. Iggy becomes enamored of her and is sad when Ruth leaves to marry Frank Bennett. Frank turns out to be a violent, abusive man who often beats Ruth, but she stays with him until her mother's death. Afterward, Ruth sends Iggy a message appealing for help. Iggy, along with several men, rescue her and her son from Bennett. Intimidated by Big George, the Threadgoods' handyman, Bennett does not resist. With money from her father, Iggy reestablished the Whistle Stop Cafe with Sipsy, Big George's adopted mother, and her daughter-in-law, Anzel, as cooks. Iggy becomes secondary guardian to Ruth's son, Buddy Jr. 
A gossip columnist refers to him as Ruth and Iggy's son, indicating recognition of the women's alternative family. Buddy becomes known as Stump after losing an arm in an accident. The cafe quickly becomes known to hobos all over the U.S. during the Great Depression as a welcoming place to receive a meal. The most recurrent guest is Smokey Lonesome Phillips, who's secretly in love with Ruth. When Ruth dies of cancer, Iggy is heartbroken. After the railroad yard closes, the cafe, and ultimately the town, ceases operation. Several years later, Iggy and Big George are arrested by the county for Frank Bennett's murder. The case is dismissed when the local minister, repaying Iggy for helping his son, falsely testifies she and Big George were at a three-day revival when Bennett went missing. Bennett's body was never found. It is later revealed that Sipsy killed him when he attempted to kidnap his and Ruth's son. His remains were barbecued by Big George and fed to detectives investigating Frank's disappearance at the time. Stump recounts the stories of his guardians to his daughter and granddaughter. Big George's sons, Jasper and Artis, take independent paths. Jasper is a Pullman porter and Artis is a gambler and ladies' man. After the decline of Whistle Stop, Iggy and her brother Julian relocate to Florida when they operate a roadside food stand. Inspired by these stories, Evelyn starts working outside the house selling Mary Kay products. At Mrs. Threadgood's urging, she gets treated for negative symptoms of menopause. She also confronts various long-held fears. Evelyn becomes happier. While on vacation, she receives a letter from Mrs. Hartman, a neighbor of Mrs. Threadgood, telling her of the later's death and of her having bequeathed various trinkets to Evelyn. And that is the synopsis for Fragment Tomatoes by Mandy Flay. Now back to the show. Welcome back to the Joyce Podcast. We're discussing fried green tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe by Fanny Flagg. Starting with you, Barbara, what are your thoughts of the book? The book. I had read the book, I mean, probably 30 years ago. So, you know, since my memory is not what it used to be, I had to reread it. Um, and it's so funny to read reread a book at a different stage in your life, right? Mm. I mean, you, you just obviously... Totally different... I'm 61. So now I get the whole, I'm, you know, the whole aging women and, and yes, the, 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 the menopause <laughs> I have a different perspective than I had uh, when I read it when I was, you know, probably 25, but yeah. um, I still enjoyed it. And also, you know, now that I write myself, um, you know, people read books to read stories to understand what to do in life and what not to do, to experience things, to experiencing, to experience things they they haven't experienced before. So in my mind, this book was kind of meta because um, it was a story about a story about changing someone's life, and so it's sort of like uh, navel gazing, you know, recognizing that it was telling it's uh, you know it was trying to change someone's life through story. But um, I, you know, and also I think the storytellers. In the South, that's a big thing, you know, that storytelling, you know, is is a tradition. And I could see it, in, you know, captured in this book. And Fanny Flagg did it, too. From I think she had she had such huge resources to pull from to write the book, too. I mean, because I mean, she grew up down in the South. So she had all that to funnel into the book. And she did a fantastic job. I mean, you felt like you knew all the characters. You really I mean, did. Think- you got vested in them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a huge Fanny Flagg fan. I'll read every book that she's written. Welcome to the World, Baby Girl, and so on and so forth. And the thing I find with her books, and this is 
this is a big plus, but it's also a big downsize for me is that every time I read her books, when I finish, I am so depressed because I feel like I've, I'm, I'm saying goodbye to these friends I've made. That's and what I'm saying. A, you get so vested in the characters. They're like, you know them. And she, she, and she does this with everything. I mean, um, welcome to the world, baby girls about a girl who goes back home to a small Alabama town. And then she did another book that I remember reading. And basically it was this town that starts in the 1920s and you're following this town and the neighbors as they go through today. And as the town's drying up and everything that goes along with it and, you know, the radio show. And, and it's almost like, I mean, it's like stepping into a episode of the Waltons. that's kind of an ongoing sort of thing. And that's what, you know, I had to sit there and say, and Fried Green Tomatoes is, she did a book before this that doesn't have this kind of writing style. And then she, once she developed this writing style, she kind of kept on with it sort of thing. I was kind of surprised to hear she walked off on finishing the screen, the, the screenplay for the, the movie. You know, she kind of got tired of doing it. She, I think she did like 70 pages, I think I read it. And then Fanny Flagg said, no, see ya. Well, she has written a, she has written a sequel to Fried Green Tomatoes that came out this year called Fried Green Tomatoes and the Boy Wonder. Yeah, I've not heard about. of that. Yeah, well, maybe the screenplay she had to she had to get rid of some of her characters and she couldn't kill her darlings. That's probably <laughs> yeah. what it was. That's most definitely probably what it was. I mean, when we get to when we get to the film, I mean, you realize that they kind of threaded through they especially did. like especially the ending is a lot different sort of thing that we get in the movie sort of thing. What about yourself, Leandra? What are your thoughts of the book? Um, well, I, I love it. I have seen the um, first, I, I watched the movie a long time ago, but it, you know, every time that I was watching the movies, always I never I sit down and watch it. It's always I found it halfway through. I have the chance to get the book and I, I love it. Um, what I like, let's say halfway through the, the book, I thought, well, hold on, who is telling me this story? The Arthur? someone the the main character and I, I couldn't couldn't get it until then I, remember, <laughs> I, I went back to the beginning and then says the story um is told by by one of the sisters of the what I would think is the main character and for me that was really interesting because when all well all the books that we have been reading you you see it from the view of the main character telling you the story or the author which is something that see everything and tell you but this is different because it's like it's a character is from the eyes of a uh, one of the characters of one of the members of the family so so it was really interesting also you know with all the divisions between uh chapters uh sometimes they were a bit annoying those uh there was like another person telling you like this the the, news, the newsletter town. yeah and, the newsletter yeah and, and i couldn't get why that was there Right, because I imagine if they could remove all those ones, the story could go anywhere. But then I understood, okay, maybe it's like try to understand what's going on in the in the town. And to yeah, it's stuff she wouldn't have known herself. So they had to throw in a newsletter to yeah. get other other points in there and other things in there. Um and I, and I think the newsletter for me, I quite like the newsletter because it was kind of like this whimsical what's going on in the town whimsical that yes. and it kind of gave you and it also gave you that neighborhood friendly that everyone is you know it don't, that we don't really have in today's society where you have yes. you know a neighborhood and neighbors looking after neighbors and everyone invested because i mean whistle stop is basically not even a i don't even think it's four corners you know what i mean it's kind of it's a really small community and i think it and i think the 
to give you that feel, I think that's what the newsletter does is that basically it's like the same people being told the same stories, the same families and yeah. so on and so forth. So I think that's probably why that's in there sort of thing to. Then I thought, well, maybe it's, it's me not being from USA that can get the humor. Some jokes were, were funny, other were really stupid. Um, but, I, but, but it was like, then I understood it was a kind of like to sometimes to cut the emotions of the chapter and then if, the, if it's going to talk about a different character, but this is, you have something divided to make your mind out from where you were. Um, well, lo love this, the story, made me cry. So it's a, it's a good thing. It's a good book. Um, and and for the same price at the end you have recipes. So what is well you can you can ask for more. <laughs> you gonna try any of them? Uh, yes, but I need to need to meet uh, like get together with friends to do it. I wouldn't cook like Tom um, all that for to eat by myself. There's no point. Well, you gotta make chicken and dumplings. You gotta have chicken and dumplings. Or fried Nothing catfish. Better. You gotta have catfish. Oh, yeah, fried catfish. I love fried catfish. Oh, they say, they say I, I love chicken and dumplings catfish. as well. It's good. Just yeah. to warn you, if you make the chicken and dumplings, making the dumplings nice and fluffy is quite a feat in itself. <laughs> I think I've done it once with 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 yeah. no problems. Other than that, they came out really hard, or they got soupy, or they just you got to use them for a wall. They were so hard. I could use yeah. it for hollow points for the shotgun. You know, yeah, all, all the recipes are really, really fattening. It's like a lot of um, yeah. frying, a lot of oil. A lot I'm telling you, that's all people do is deep fry shit here in Texas. I, yeah. I was in somebody's <laughs> house. They deep fried their hamburgers. It's just like, y'all, I got to stay away from them because they will deep fry anything. I mean, I think they just decidedly do this just to see how far they can take their deep frying now everybody's got an air fryer so it's kind of taking the fun out of it but <laughs> i think that's what about true. what about yourself craig what are your thoughts of the book oh, i love the book um i like the um the chapters like how each chapter was from either the nursing home or set back home sort of thing and i love the the little designs on each chapter as well the, the little drawings um I thought that was really cute. I didn't have little drawings. I had a Kindle version, though. I had an ebook. <laughs> <laughs> and um, talking about the community, like where I live in East Finchley, we, it's only since the pandemic that we've set up a WhatsApp group for our street sort of thing. And it felt like when we were clapping for the NHS, like that's when the community came together. So it's something that was really prominent mm -hmm. in this book. And I thought it was a really nice thing to explore like an actual community feel um but yeah it was a scary time i mean all the the things that they went through um during that time i mean you know i just feel sometimes i just feel really lucky that's great. when the south was the south yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was pretty hardcore back then um and uh, even the, the the lesbian themes and stuff um was really nice and just yeah I, I just really enjoyed the book and um couldn't put it down and I, I just read it in in one go it was kind of nice how she represented the friendship because I don't know maybe Barbara might may or may not agree with me but it's not even so much about lesbianism I don't think it's just that women just have a way of just I've said this before about other movies and books we've read 
but women just need other women because they have relationships. I don't think most men could even understand when, when women are, you know, in cahoots as friends. And I can, I mean, they really loved each other in the book though. I mean, it was, it was really, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't even think it was even sexual at some, most of the yeah, time. Yeah. It, it, was, it, it just was sort really, of skims over the top of the, yeah. of sexualizing the relationship. Iggy was my favorite character. I just oh god, her. yes, she was awesome. She reminds me of the girl in The Crow on the skateboard. I just, I just love. Yeah, she character. kind of does, doesn't she? I didn't, yeah. I never would have drawn that together, but she does. I think the re I think the reason why the lesbianism is not a big deal is because in this community, it's not a big deal in the community. No, so they, they, they kind of figured it out, but nobody cared. Well, but, but the thing is, is I, I think it's just because I think what they're showing, I think what Fanny Flag is trying to show is that, okay, these two people obviously are in a relationship and everyone knows it, but because they're part of the neighborhood and being part of the neighborhood is not about judging. It's all about, yeah. you know, they're they they're very much an ample part of the neighborhood and very much involved. Well, that their, so their part, cafe was the heart's blood of the little town. I too. think I think also it's because for when you read the book, it's like for the family was ta was taking like something natural. It was never any moment that the parents judge her or say anything. It was like mm -hmm. even even didn't you know, even support her. It just accept her and carry on and accept her. Um, for example, they were more paying attention that she didn't want to spend time with the family rather the way she was or what she was doing. And I think that that, that changed everything in the story because imagine yeah. in the story the parents would have been against what she was feeling. So they would have a, a different perspective and, and everything has be, have to be hidden, you know, and all that, and, but never happened. So it's I think it shows you that, if, for example, if in your inner circle, let's say everyone accepts you as you are, it's changed because if you feel more support and then you can be yourself and you don't care. I also think for, um, I mean, the father pretty much spells it out when um, Ruth leaves her husband and she's pregnant. And the father gives Iggy money to open the cafe because he goes, now that she's living with you, you need to take responsibility. And so it kind of it kind of opens it up and says that basically everyone's okay with this situation sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So and that and the co-parenting be, um, between Stumper um, and everything like I that. Think you so can that just she just paints a beautiful story and picture of two beautiful souls who just happen to love each other, whether they're lesbians or not. You know, it's just yeah. a it's just a wonderful story about two human beings and, and all the stuff they go through. Let's face it, the twenties and the thirties we're we're in a fun time. And just the way they protected their people, you know, the well, black people in their community. And well, another thing that's quite interesting, as far as religion is concerned, lesbianism is not against any religion anyway. Oh, I'm mentioned. sure somebody will find something. No, somewhere. no, it's not, it's not. No, I mean, if you if you look at the Bible, um, and well, the guys the wrote the Bible, and who benefits more from lesbian love than two men? Well, it's, <laughs> so, it's not. Know? It's not record. But but no, but what I'm saying is not recognized. Even during Victorian times, when it was against the law for homosexuality to happen in the UK, lesbianism was not um, part of that. So well, because could, they didn't uh, give women with, too much of a thought after the fact back then. No, it has nothing. No, it has nothing to do with that. It has to simply do that religion does not acknowledge lesbianism. That's weird because I was so. I don't know was kind of pounded into 
my head at our school. Well, that's because you had nuns and you were Catholic and all. Everyone knows yeah, they have some of that were <laughs> farting around in the darkness. Well, you know, it's really interesting what you're yeah. saying, though, because when I was in uni, I studied philosophy, you know, and then it was like, um, we have to read uh, Plato, you know, it's a uh, play called The Banquet, Banquet. Mm -hmm. And it's all about that. And, it, and it's, it's telling you, like, in, th in those times, um, well, to sum You're up. Right. Leviticus says nothing about women, but they did get around to it, wait, in 1 Corinthians. But they're, they're, they start, but they're, that's almost an insulting passage. I won't even read it. But well, I mean, women, I mean, women are, I mean, that's, when it comes to religion, women are more property than they are people anyway. That's what I'm saying. Nobody really cared, you know, what, what, so, what women, you know, what they were doing or what they were thinking. I, mean, I just find it unusual. I mean, if you look at the whole book and the, all, all the books of the Bible, the only one that's basically dedicated to a woman is the book of Ruth. That's it. Right. <laughs> Everything else is like... Now, there were other books of the Bible, but the Christian church had stricken them from the, the Bible. There's there's other books. There's a whole book of Mary. There's a book of Mary Magdalene. These books were taken out of the Bible and nobody wanted you to read them, but they still exist. There's books floating around, under goes under the Apocrypha where they, they have included these women, these books of women. And a lot of people don't realize it. I didn't until um, somebody turned me on to it. And there's there's stuff that, that they just did not want powerful women. Sort of like the same reason Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. She wasn't, but that's how they portrayed her to be, you know? But there are other well, books of women. Well, make, they well, just kept it up and put well, in the King James version. Well, to make Mary Magdalene a prostitute pretty much shows that, you know, it gives if Jesus Jesus that. loved her and they couldn't have that. Well, no, I mean, showing her as a prostitute, I, I think it seems more, it also shows Jesus as being very, very accepting, no matter yes, what exactly. you were. And that he, no matter what sins you may occur, that he's accepting and going to love you. So it kind of portrays that as well, as far as the storyline. Yeah, that goes. Old Testament's pretty dicey. Well, I mean, <laughs> they're, they're too violent. Well, there's two gods, isn't there? There's the vengeful yes. God of Old Testament and the New Testament. For some reason, he has a change of heart and becomes the all forgiving. So, well, so. the message probably was it was a new time, too. I mean, the Gospels weren't even written when I mean, they were written after Jesus. And there's apocalyptic versions and they go on to different versions for whatever that period of time was. Well, you know, um, I mean, the only thing you can say about the Bible, I mean, but or any argument. Well, I mean, all you can sit there and say that if any of it's true, let's sit there and say that it is true. By the time it got written down, Jesus probably swam across the water. By the time it got written down, he's now walking on top of it. Because you know what people yeah. are like when they're talking, when a story is going from person to person. Yes, so who knows? Yeah. Sort of thing. What and about yourself, Davi? You yeah. <laughs> what about yourself, Davi? What do you thought about what are your thoughts about the book? Um, so the I thought that the book was a little gemstone, like a sort of in the world of literature. Uh, it was like filled with wisdom of like this experienced old woman telling the stories. Um, I, feel, I felt like I kind of wanted had to be my nanny, some sort of you know, because I, I never had like a grandmother like that. Um, I, I generally loved it. Unfortunately, I've watched the movie before the reading the book. I watched the movie when I was younger. I watched it with my mum. This is probably the sixth time in my life I've watched this movie. I really, really love it. So wow. that kind of ruined the experience a little bit of the The book the kind book. of screwed me up reading. Yeah. I should have not 
watch the movie again yeah. before reading the book because my brain was in a different, you know, orbit. I'm the, and I, I could, I'm yeah, I'm exactly the same. Unfortunately, there were so many characters, characters and stuff in the movie. Yeah, there were also so many yeah. characters. Then they don't really have important roles, or they were kind of side the story in the movie. Mm -hmm. So I got a bit confused. And at some point, this new character would appear, this person would appear, and I'm like, okay, I'm not interested. But then they talked about them more and more in the book and I'm like okay I should have focused I should have paid more attention to it so it was a little bit confusing because there were so many characters but I generally loved the movie uh sorry the um well, I obviously love the movie but I, I love the book um and I love the storytelling of yeah Nini, they did a big a casting job um, she, she she was incredible in the way she was telling all these stories and she was very opinionated but i i didn't care i, I love the way she told the story as, as she was there telling you something telling you a story telling you how she felt about the character how things were and even there were situations that felt very unrealistic like well i don't know if you remember the scene when she was telling about this person who was so skinny and then when they opened her up the whole thing was like a liver came off and bounced up and down oh, the tall Obviously, tales they yeah, should just so create a book of tall tales. Tall <laughs> so tales that's clearly fun. like no realistic, but then you just like, okay, it doesn't matter. I just want to listen to her like talking, you know, and and and, and really, really, really loved it. Um, my absolutely favorite, favorite part was the empowerment to Evelyn becoming to one that is like sort of um oh, second poor Evelyn, man. I, love it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, but then being the way she was and then the way she grew up and then the way she was her whole life, I felt like, yes, it was very extreme when she had this all four pages of like venting and ranting about everyone she hated and everything that was wrong in the world. I imagine in her head that she was this sort of superheroes fighting and killing and torturing all these people who deserved it. But I had so much fun. Those are, I have to admit in my whole life. That those are probably the funniest four pages I've ever read in my whole she life. She adopted all the characters. And it was amazing. She, amazing. She, she kind of assimilated characters. She yeah, yeah. She she did. She created stories. alter ego, right? So yeah. she created it like sort of superhero oh, that she no. could never be. But yes. <laughs> um, I got but a kick the, out of her. I felt bad for her. She, I, 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 you know I, what, I liked what it. was this? Was this the sick? What year was that supposed to be? I get confused. Is it the in the book. In the book. No, in, in in eighty six. It yep. is 86 in the book because I, I mean, sometimes I got lost when it, when it came to that. I just, I just kind of <laughs> thought, I mean, just, just the, the, uh, where she got That's her need to get you some of them, their hormones. It's just like, yeah, oh, yes. <laughs> you know, that was just funny part of the book. It, it definitely <laughs> resonates with some of us. I, I definitely I definitely resonated with her like as sort of like as if she's the character who listens to the story so it's kind of on our side it's it we are the reader so we listen to the story but at the same time she's in the story but she's also listening to the story you know it was a very intricated way of narrating the story and I loved her um but she was kind of on our side so I kind of resonated with her but at the same time she was changed and transformed because of the story and because of the relations relationship she had with um Nini Treadgood and, nice and, and I loved I loved the way she evolved and she transformed and she became a better version of ourselves you know and then eventually she also got over her prejudices and racism sort of that she yeah. had and she was dealing with thanks to again 
the old woman who's there for her and then giving her advices and she also had an amazing religion besides the fact that i'm not a religion but religious person but i appreciate when somebody has a um, genuine religious experience like in this case she went there and she felt like a completely changed person so i'm like wow incredible so she had a completely change about and everything she she just transformed she's like you know from from a little caterpillar to a cocoon into a butterfly she just evolved she was amazing and then the story is filled with like inspiring powerful women not only itchy because obviously she was one of the main characters but also sipsy i love sipsy she did not care about even racing even the Ku Klux class she called them madam not scared of those white ghosties or something and I, was like, I just wish i could get Cicely tyson out of my head every time i think sipsy that is sipsy as far as i'm concerned is Cicely tyson she, she, she was you. great <laughs> and, yeah yes 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 and, and 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 i loved it and i loved it and one one another last thing i promise because i talk a lot um wow. so the one thing i loved and, and and i found fascinating is the concept of food in the story now another the oh, book yeah. is called great fried green tomatoes and obviously they're focusing you know on, on the traditional food and the fact that she loved this recipe but I've, I've noticed one thing i don't know if probably other people might have noticed so i started writing down all the names of the candy bars that she went time by time to a lot i've got the whole list written down because i was curious but what i've noticed is that suddenly so there was this conversation obviously going between her and um Nene. And then Nene was telling about all the traditional food, all the amazing food, all the menus, and even, you know, the April's full funny menu, etc. So she was talking about this traditional cooked food. At the same time, if you, you can like draw two parallel lines, you have the food that was traditional in the story, and then the food that um, Evelyn was bringing to her, taking to her, it was all candy bars, all wrapped artificial, chemical filled and preservative filled food. And suddenly, as she was changing and evolving in the story, the food became a little bit more normal. Like she brought, for example, the pimiento cheese sandwich and suddenly she started cooking. So as she transformed, she also the way she brought food the food that she was bringing and taking to her was changing as well so i, I don't know i've noticed this, this thing about the food so that's kind of in my head and then you got the final explosion when you reached the point when she she cooked she fried the uh, fried green tomatoes and there was the I, I don't know i i i noticed the metaphor of evolutional transformation with the food and then she was taken to well, food I, mean, I, I, I find it fascinating too. And cooking cooking for people is love right i mean yeah, yeah. pairing it brings food. people together you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it is an act of love because it takes a lot of work. <laughs> oh, yes. Definitely. Thanksgiving. Yeah. 20 hours to make, 15 minutes to eat. But I feel I think so unloved But I also think that if you look at what each of us cook, whether it's for Thanksgiving, Easter, Christmas, or even at everyday family meals, these are normally we are taking um, recipes that are brought down from us from our family. Yeah. And we're bringing those through and then our children pick up those recipes and they're making for their family. And so they're traditional recipes that we use. I mean, I'll take my mom's fruit salad. I mean, the thing is, is my great grandmother made this fruit salad. My grandmother made it. My mother makes it. I make it. My nieces and nephews now make it for their Christmas dinner every single year. Share it now. We all want it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's like, what gives? I need the recipe. I'm getting hungry for chicken fried steak just by doing this podcast. <laughs> Because there's a new restaurant down the street, chicken fried steak. I was like, man, there's like three thousand calories. It's got my name on it right now. <laughs> I mean, e- even my even my bolognese sauce. Uh, uh, you know, I made um, 
on Sunday, it's passed down from my mom or, you know, meatloaf or scalloped potatoes or, or all the other stuff that I make on a regular basis. They're all recipes brought down. Of course, I've added recipes of my own right. and they kind of, you know, they kind of get passed on to, you know. No, yeah, um, after my mom died, we all were, you know, we all had her little handwritten recipes. And, you know, you wanted to keep her handwriting, but you also wanted to keep the recipes, you know, and it was, you know, it just, you see it and you remember all the time she made it and you, you know, it makes you want to make it for your family. And yeah, food, you know, food is love and food can be, you know, and right. I think her, you know, the food that um, Evelyn was eating was, you know, trash, right? And yeah. And she didn't, so it was, it was, like you said, a, a, you know, an, um, an, a, a metaphor for her whole life. It was just empty. It was empty calories. It was empty of Krispy Kreme donuts, too. <laughs> we have them in the UK, too. <laughs> Krispy Kreme is just evil. Why they're at the checkout line at my store now, I don't know why, but that's just not cool. It's bad. But, you know, one thing, I mean, besides the food, um, you know, everything at the whistle stop cafe all the people were just warm and fuzzy and everyone took care of each other and then of course she juxtaposed fanny flag just juxtaposed it to how evelyn was having these terrible run-ins with you know total jerks in the parking lot and here and there and i just thought that was a little over the top i mean yes you do meet jerky people in modern life but they're not all jerks you know it's like yeah she definitely yeah. had an attitude, but she was so unhappy at home too. She wasn't appreciated. She was not really loved like she should be loved. And well, it was really just such a blessing. I mean, how you watch the, I mean, just that one relationship and how it rippled out into so many different, you know, areas in other people's lives, even into the future, you know, which would be Evelyn. Well, I mean, I don't think Evelyn was unloved. I think it basically is, is, is basically what happens is as, as you get. Well, it's not even being appreciative. What happens is I think I think what they're trying to show is that if once you're in a relationship for a long period of time, it's not that they're unloved or unappreciated. You kind of just take things for granted. You kind of get yeah. stuck in this groove sort of thing. And um, it's really kind of hard to break that. So basically, you know, she cooks dinner. He comes home and watches football or whatever. It's not that he doesn't appreciate her. Well, it's a simple yeah. fact that basically this is what their lives have become. You know, it's, it's not. It's, I think it's not that also a, it's not through a thought process. Also, is that that she she never have like kind of like said the the time enough to take herself to find herself to to find what she wanted to do, and then, um, for example, she 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 felt like she has been carrying on life, but never found uh, found her place. Something that she likes, something that she you. Do it with passion, and then when she starts to to find that and change, it's like, oh wait, what was the problem with you? What's going on? You know, it's like, um, and then she was telling the husband that look, for for all this time I've been trying to do things to kind of fill a gap, and and me feeling like better, and and it doesn't work because the husband was I don't know just sitting there watching telly and yeah. and eating without acknowledging that she maybe wanted to do something different. Um, but uh, for me, I thought it was more also with, you know, what you do get with women is the empty nest syndrome. Right. 
and her children had moved her children moved on and oh she's yeah like, that is rough what, let me tell you what do what do i do? well what do i do now because the thing is if you don't move forward with your life and no and you and the thing is you got to rediscover what your role is because your children no longer need you well they and always because, need you trust me they always yeah but but it, but it's not a day-to-day -day basis they're not living in the house anymore no. so, <laughs> so and and basically the husband and the husband that you had because he you know tend to the husband tends sometimes take a second seat to this develops his own routine so then what happens basically is once the children are gone then you got the the misplaced mother or the misplaced wife basically has no routine because her routine basically was the children and then the husband but now the husband's found his own way doing his own thing and it's kind of like becomes she becomes a bit stagnant right and she situation. said i'm young to be old and i'm too old to be young remember is there never a more truer statement ever made let me tell you right she was like lost that way yeah, yeah. that's what seems that's relevant because sometimes you don't you know your kids do they move out and it's like boy you did all these things and you had all this extra stuff there was sports there was laundry there was dinners there was pta there's this there's that yeah. and then all of a sudden you just niente nothing <laughs> I also, I think it's um, about that she was like kind of like scared because in several several um, times you could you could well read that for example she went to do a course to to see her body and she was scared of, of using a mirror to to see her own part. Well, I don't think body. I would have done that either. To tell you the truth, yeah, yeah, but I what I'm saying therapy, is, but nothing like that. Just like well, I, yeah, but. It's really interesting because when she told Nini, Nini said, well, well, I can about. help you with that, but have you never like kind of seen yourself, your own body? And it's like, as, as that's one, one, of, one of the examples. The other, that was she was so interested in the story that Nini was telling her because she could see the, the story of someone that wanted to do something, was going and doing it, and don't give a shit about anyone else, what they would think, what they would say. Um, and that's she wanted to do something, but she was all the voices in their head saying, "No, no, I shouldn't be doing this." Or, or until I like it because in, when she used the to Wanda, it's like, a, "Okay, what that person will be doing to change the 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 situation?" But now I can do it myself, thinking that I'm a superhero. So that was when really, she got really, going, though well, there was no stopping her. She was just like, yeah. "Well, chugging, motoring think, through Mary Gay and everything else." But I think you also have to look at Evelyn's um, approach in life. Anyway, if she's hitting menopause in 1986, chances are that that means she was born in between the 30s and the 40s which is a totally different time where women didn't express themselves. You know, the whole thing about, you know, you're either a virgin or a whore, basically. And if you were a whore, you know, if you slept with one guy back in those days sort of thing. And I mean, you know, and, and so the women's roles and everything like that are a totally different thing. And the way her thought process is. Now, the thing also is, is that, you know, I think we're a bit better nowadays than we were, you know, if you look about 30 years ago, because now I think that we as a society in general tend to proceed in our lives sort of thing we, we don't seem to be stick sticking to our um our decade where, where we grew up and but there for a while i mean i know my mom was stuck in her decade and i know my aunts were stuck in their decade where they grew up and the and their thought processes and stuff i think now that i don't think we're so much stuck in our decade now i mean i know i'm not stuck in like the 70s 80s where i grew up i'm not kind of stuck in that anymore i appreciate the music but i know that i'm always growing and changing and evolving 
And I know everyone around me is doing that as well. So, I remember, but I also, oh, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. no, no, careful. No, carry forward. I was going to say, I remember when my aunts and my grandmother were my age, they looked like little old ladies. I know. Have you noticed the difference? They, they, you know, they let themselves just, they ate whatever. They, they acted like little old ladies. And it was the hair, the makeup, the clothes that they still try to force on us if you go into Target or Walmart and yeah, glasses. I mean, they had these helmets for hair. Seven. They didn't have anything yeah. pretty for them to wear now. I mean, just like, now we can, we got choices. Right, but is there acceptance of that's what it's like to be, you know, this age, you know, in this mm -hmm. society? Not without a fight. I will die on this hill. <laughs> I don't care. I am not wearing ugly clothes. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, I mean, if you look, if you look at 1986, let's take the Golden Girls. Now, the Golden Girls, yeah. uh, the Golden Girls of that time period are basically in their 50s. I know. Can you yeah, they're in their 50s. Yeah. And um, if you if you rewatch if you rewatch it, I mean, basically, is um, B. Arthur's character Dorothy moving in because she's just hit fifty. No. I know. That's what I'm saying. People, we have really. I don't know what has changed, but we don't dress or act old anymore. I think we're more on the go as a species than we used to be as women. Either that, I, I don't. I don't even know if that's a good anthropological study, boy. I, that's a, I like, think that no, I think it was like. Right before when when for example i don't know like when the internet is not going on and everything was different it was you you were reaching certain age that there was no more like room to do things that young people were doing anymore because your body was not able to do it as i don't know well, that hasn't changed my body still is not able to do half that shit but at least i have the option to try <laughs> yeah, no, but, yeah but I, why I, do you I, have I, that I option? Think. because now the world has evolved little bit i mean like i mean a bit like what leandro is saying is simple fact is that i think the reason why things have probably changed now is because and i hate to say it things like ricky lake phil donahue oprah winfrey all this other stuff where they were bringing like normal everyday people and realizing that you could do you couldn't be whoever you want to no oprah matter what springer. your age is gotta put springer in there somewhere and sally jesse raphael <laughs> <laughs> but but, but having but, but but having this coming into your home like in the 90s yeah. and sort of stuff you know basically it's like okay we are now we have to be forced to for be forever evolving yeah. and we also have to be changing and then with the globalization and the internet as leandra was saying so now we're kind of faced that we always have to keep moving and going forward because if you're not we're now we now feel that if we don't if we don't keep evolving that we're going to be left behind and the worst thing in society today is being left behind. Now, with fried green tomatoes, what's quite interesting is that we're dealing with, uh, you know, a community situation. And the thing is, and if you look at today, even though the community seems excellent, I think the reason why we're all able to move forward is because we don't have the community and we don't have the judgment coming from our fellow neighbors as much as we used to sort of thing. It wasn't all, you know, we can pretty much be our own people. And if you make a mistake, then it's up to you to sort that mistake out. You might have close friends who might be judgmental, but as far as society and community, your community is no longer judging you because everyone's tied up in their own lives. But with that, you do get a give and take situation because of that. You no longer have a community, but you're able to be who you want to be, or you can have a community, but maybe not be who you want to be. So it's a kind of a give and take situation. That makes sense. So, 
I mean, what I liked about fried green tomatoes, it does remind me of my grandmother a lot, you know, and, and Nini Threadgood's a lot like my grandmother in so many ways. I mean, all my life lessons and everything that I have in life is from her situation. You know, I was reading Ferris um, when my grandmother died and we had a family reunion. I think I read David when he was here over Christmas. I read what I had to write for my family reunion about my grandmother. And, you know, it was like a rainy day. And basically, as she would bring out this big box of photographs and negatives and everything like that. And we would go through them like this exciting children. We stop what we're doing, go through them. My mom and my, you know, my grandmothers talk about what, you know, people she grew up with cousins, aunts, uncles, you know, people we didn't know. We get the story of how her brother died in the hayloft, you know, falling from a falling from the hay mountain landing on a pitchfork and you know but you know have one you know but but it's like it's all like family stories but you know but she'd go into full detail about this and time that there was a car accident when she was like 15 year old the cars were new and you know and everyone was looking for the the head of this headless body that was in this car and it was at her feet <laughs> but there was all these kind of stories that that would come out every time these photographs and I just remember that she had like this negative viewfinder, which is like like a viewmaster sort of thing. So you put the negative in, you hold it up to light, and you can see like pictures that were never developed. And I just remember that one is like there's one of this woman in a coffin. <laughs> you know, she's all laid out and stuff like that. I don't know why, but that's so I what they it to used to do back then because <laughs> my mother's Italian, and every time somebody died, like her mother died when she was two years old, that'd be 1934. And they took pictures of that so that they could remember, you yeah. know, people do that. We're all morbid in my yeah. family. You know, when somebody passes away, you know, like, yeah. when, like for instance, when, when Justin passed away, my mother wanted pictures of him because she couldn't be here. So I sent well, her pictures, you know. Well, the funny thing, the funny thing about this one is like, I looked at it and I go to my grandmother, I go, who's this? And my grandmother takes the viewmaster, puts it to her eye. And they're like, she has to step over to the window, like the interviewer of things goes, I don't know who the hell that is. So you I mean, guys had them on a viewmaster. <laughs> now they were kind of like this, neg like a negative. Oh, view the master thing. thing. Oh, okay, the thing. I forgot about and, those. Gosh, yeah, those. Are, oh, then, I wish I had one. And then, and then she, and then I, and then she gives it to my mother. She goes, "Bonnie, do you know who this is?" My my mother looks at it. It's like, no, I don't know who that is. And my grandma takes one last look. She goes, "I don't know who she is either." But either someone in this family loved her at one time. <laughs> she just went on her story. So Nini kind of always remind me of like my grandmother because my gra my grandmother used to tell these stories and these life lessons. I miss that. It seems like that's becoming so. a lost thing. You know, a lot of kid, a lot of people don't tell this. Like my grandfather from Italy told me all these stories when he was a young boy in Italy, and I would I always tell Asher about it because it just doesn't that something between my child mm -hmm. and some between my mother something happened in that generation where they just don't care about that stuff anymore. Well, you know, before well, television and, you know, television and internet, people entertained each other with stories. Yeah. I mean, they read books. They read lots of books. Right. You know, but the thing, uh, the thing is, you also have to remember with stories is that when you're telling these to your children, they sound, they may not be taught, they might not be listening in the stuff that you're doing or whatever like that. But what you'll find is when they get older and they start reflecting back, because you don't, you don't reflect when you're young. No. Young is like, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm going to live forever, da, 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 da. But as you get into your 30s and 40s, what you find yourself doing is repeating these stories yeah. to other people. And that's what I do now. I mean, I, you know, 
Right. Well, I mean, I think well, everyone I in this room has heard some story or another from myself or my grandmother. So, <laughs> so. Right. Well, I mean, I think you might be, I might be older than all of you guys. And so I try to, you know, I've, I've been to a few funerals and there was this one picture of this woman, you know, they had a montage of pictures and I didn't really know this woman. She was the wife of someone, I, you know, and there's this picture of her just laughing, like looking so joyful. And she has a pineapple on her head. <laughs> I don't know the story, but I kept thinking, do I have a pineapple picture? <laughs> I don't. I know one thing. I think we need to go out and get a Carmen Miranda picture taken right. soon. No, she, she obviously was having like the best time. I mean, she just looked like she was so joyful and she had a pineapple on her head. And I was like, I, I don't know. Do I have any pictures? Like, are they ever going to find a picture of me looking that happy doing that something that funny and la you know, laughing? So I started thinking about, you know, when my when my mom died or my grandmother died, like you'd say, oh, they used to say that. They used to say that. And I go, do I ever say anything wise? I think the thing I say the most is that would be better toasted. <laughs> you know, what's going to be sad is people will remember what we said, Barbara, after we're dead. They'll never tell us while we're here. I need some wise. I need some wise sayings. And, and I got to say them a few times so people remember that I always said but that was, would be better toasted. Really, it, a lot really, of things are better toasted. <laughs> That's the it, truth. It, All of my subs, everything toasted. <laughs> it was really moving when, at the end of the book, said like, um, "All her life could enter in a shoebox." Yeah, right. right. And it's like it's true. It's like like then you. Well, I started to think it's like yeah, it's true. You you die and then all your clothes can go away, and the only thing that will be in uh, for the people that know you is what you have said, the memories. Yeah. And if you have like strong memories that don't know that, that people then can carry on passing, it's like a kind of like, in a way you don't die because you carry on in the family by, yeah, by people something. People remember you. They yeah. keep in their hearts and their thoughts. And, but and all the things that maybe you were have like a pressure, like a treasure for another person, maybe don't have any meaning at all. Well, I think um, what I thought was quite interesting is uh, I don't think that Evelyn's going to do much with the gallstones. Right. But um, but what I what I think I did find, because now she's a Mary Kay cosmetics, and it's quite interesting because when Nini dies in the book, by this time, Evelyn's now going house to house and she's gaining this whole new community around her that people like. And so with the pictures of Ruth and Iggy and Whistle Stop and the, and the Thread Goods and with the and especially like with the recipes, it's um, because Nini has nobody because her son, Albert, who is, um, you know, mentally disabled and right. he died like when he was in thirties and um, but passing everything to Evelyn, it's almost like she passed these things. And they, even though they may seem like not a lot, but I could see Evelyn passing these stories on to her customers and these recipes on and she probably pass it on if her son gets married to his wife or whatever, however that plays out. But for me, it kind of gave me that vision that even though this box didn't seem like anything much, but Evelyn's going to keep Ninny alive through the stories that Evelyn's now going to tell. And then like she can have the she pictures. Death in the book too. You know, it wasn't such it wasn't such a finality. It was a time to you know remember, like you were just explaining. Well, I don't think death. I, for me, I don't think death is a, the final place anyway. The way I look at death. Yeah. Death is the thing is, as long as people remember you and keep you in their heart, you're, you're alive. 
And by keeping these things alive, I mean, every time I see a Robin, um, that reminds my grandmother, she used to draw Robins situ situation. And every time I'm slightly depressed or something like that, I'll see a Robin and all of a sudden I feel like, well, get over yourself. You're being stupid. And little things like that always, you know, remind, you know, reminds me of things. Every time I hear an Elvis Presley song, my mom comes alive to me again, you know, because she was a big Elvis Presley fan. And, you know, and it's, you know, and. You know, and I'm sure that when I pass on, there are probably things that I've done for people that one day they'll think, oh, and that will bring me alive in their heart one more. So I don't think death, you know, I think the only time death is finality is basically if you're not be if you're not being remembered. And I think that if you're not being remembered, maybe it's probably better that you try to do the best you can and be as good to other people as possible, because that will keep your spirit alive long after you're gone. Yes. Mom was in her in the hospital the last week of her life. I mean, she had so many visitors, and the nurse was like, "I thought your mom must have been a movie star or something." So many people came to see her. And I wow! Said, Doesn't that make you feel good that she touched yeah, so many people? She was a really nice person, you know. And people came over. I mean, she, you know, I found all these things that she'd done for people that she never talked about. Like it was, um, you know, it added to my my you know her legacy for me but um I you know also like when I, I I've written some stuff some essays and one time you know a stranger usually I ask my friends for reviews but a stranger wrote a review of one of my essays and said this book really cheered me up when I was down and I thought oh if you reach out like and get you know and make a stranger's day better like who could ask for anything more than that mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that with that book, um, he's probably passing it on to other people. Let's hope so. You know, and then uh, he only gave me three stars. I go, why only three stars? It made your day better. <laughs> I, I think I think that this is the, the, the key thing that Evelyn uh, was struggling, that she was feeling that she was doing all the things like you can, you can do in a normal day, but she was not doing anything substantial that changed the life of anyone like in the story that she was listening and she wanted to yeah. kind of be she wanted to connect yeah and with her with Nini connecting with her and touching her and in return Evelyn was touching her and connecting with her which basically by the end of the book Evelyn's connecting with a lot more than that and that she's finding herself and she's blossoming into what she's becoming And I think that's a I think that's a very important life lesson to be had situation, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, I think that's what um, resonates. You what know? do you think, Craig? <laughs> what about the the resonate? Yeah, I mean, listening to all you guys with, with your stories and that, um, it's just I, I was reminiscing about my childhood <laughs> and, and my relationship with my grandma, and you know, um, yeah, it made me feel feel very. Um, Uh, melancholic <laughs> and um, yeah it's, it's interesting that you know book, books are like you know they're sacred objects and it's, it's such a powerful thing to have one that could be moved on or passed, passed on sorry um, for that feeling to be replicated or you know it's, just, it's really nice yeah I mean I, I think we I miss my nan and you know um I think everyone I feel privileged that I had an, a nice nan and um in my life and uh yeah 
I mean, and I think that's what I think that's what the book helped resonates as well. It's just to remember all the other stuff that can do with it. So I think. With that, I think we should write fried green tomatoes at the Whistle Stop Cafe. And starting with you, Landra, how many stars did you give this? Uh, Ten. <laughs> you liked it that much, huh? Yes, no, I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, good deal. Uh, yes, no, this um, really, really, really good book. Uh, easy to read, interesting, um, make you think about different things because it's not just touching one subject it's like because it's through time uh goes from i don't know from 1920 yes and then going through the second world war yes. and then what was going on after and then until 1986 or 84 something like that so you could see all the transition in the society what was going on even in the small town that they used to have a railway and then everything changed um no, also really like the the story, the love story is really like really um, sweet, genuine, and pure. You know that which is like, and um, even even the connection that she was having, like the friendship, or or one thing that we well we haven't mentioned is like when she explained uh, her son when uh, he couldn't do things with one hand. And that was yeah. really, really like for me it was moving because instead of itself like telling him off or trying to she say, okay, come with me. And then she she showed her with something not connected with him whatsoever, which was a dog with three legs that was yeah. happy as any dog, even happier. And then she she could make another well, see that thing doesn't determine who you are, is how you do it. And that that was well, and even when 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 he was not wanted to be having in a relationship because he was scared of of not doing certain things, and then she showed him that he could do it anyway. So it was really really moving book. So yeah, top top. <laughs> what about yourself, Craig? What how many stars do you rate this? Um, I'm, I'll give it five out of five. Um, fried green tomatoes, and what Leandro said about the transition, it was a really um easy to follow transition whereas compared to something like the talented mr ripley when they're going backwards and forwards yeah. i was a bit lost but with this particular book i found it re re it flowed really well um and it was just an excellent excellent story and what about yourself david how many stars do you give this um myself as well would give it five stars out of five um at first, I thought this jumping from again uh, from time to time to another time was going to get a little bit confusing. But instead, it felt like probably this is probably the only book I've ever read in my life, which the chronological order did not really matter. It was more like connecting to the emotion and kept you interested into the story. It was kind of like revealing the stories and the characters and, and you know the life lesson and the wisdoms um, going st one step at a time. But then. It felt like the story was opening up to us, the readers, and also to Evelyn, as she 
was ready for the stories and the wisdom of them makes sense. So yes, there was no chronological order, which is normal, let's just say in, in a book, but it was, I think it was very well written. And eventually you connected the character and then she talked to another of another thing and you connect to that and everything makes sense. I just, it was it was delightful, I would say. It's definitely five star out of five. Plus the characters. What about, <laughs> what about yourself, Vix? Oh, I thought it was a great story. It, it, I love, you know, it explained a lot of nuances of the South and what it was like in the 20s and 30s. You know, they expressed racism and the poverty. And, you know, they, we didn't even talk about how they ate the, the, the guy. They ate the guy. <laughs> they fed the, oh, fed yeah. the guy <laughs> to the detectives. We kind of <laughs> left that out, but I guess we can get to that with the movie. You know, you know, but you I mean, the cannibalism. I know, a little endo cannibalism. I mean, it was it was just a really, she, she mastered the, the, the storytelling in this book. And it's just a really good book about two women and all, their beautiful relationship and all the lives that they touched. And it's just definitely the feels. So it's got to have a five, definitely a five. What about yourself, Barbara? Well, gosh, I have to give it a five. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, it is a five. I mean, I, I think there's not enough stories that really capture what it's like to be um, a woman no. in society at different points in history and what's expected of us and what and what we're not allowed to do. I mean, you know, after Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, they reiterated that women were not allowed to get their own credit cards till the 70s. And that had to be by like... I remember my mother having said, Mr. Mrs. John Ray, the yeah. regular MasterCard. Yeah, you're, you're 100% correct on that. Women couldn't even get a credit card on their own till the 70s. So Yeah, I remember. You know, they say you've come a long way, baby. Well, we're going back a long way, baby. <laughs> we might be right now. Right Sorry. now. Get the claws back out. Yep, yep. So, um, you know, it's like, I can't believe I have to keep protesting this crap, these women who are like 70 years old. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's really important for women's stories to be to be part of, you know, part of our, our uh, reading, our reading. Because uh, it has been a haul <laughs> for, for women, it has. Exactly. So, yes. It's, you know, women's autonomy and women's, you know, I, I mean, you know, her role Just being women, her role. I mean, remember, I don't know if you remember the movie, the movie Pleasantville, William H. Macy comes home. Where's my dinner? You know? yes. <laughs> that encapsulates a lot. Where's my cake for Father's Day? Yeah. Oh, where's <laughs> my cake? Vidalia? Yeah. Don't get me going. <laughs> yeah. So we give it a five. <laughs> I mean, interesting thing about the West Stop Cafe, it is loosely based on Irondale Cafe, which is in Irondale, Alabama. So yeah. if you find yourself um, anywhere near there, the cafe, which is or known for its fried green tomatoes, is still in operating. It's um, ran by Flag's aunt, Beth Fultonbury, and it's been run by her since 1932. And for the last four decades, it's been her and her two friends running it, and it's still got working and running today. I love places so, like that. I seek them out. Literally, we should go there. <laughs> <laughs> Trip, let's all yeah, yeah. I'll get on a plane. <laughs> Meeting point. <laughs> and another interesting, another interesting thing is that Harper Lee, um, once we did to kill Mockingbird yeah, he liked um, it last too. month, yeah. um, she praised the book and was she saying airplanes and television have removed the thread goods from the southern scene. Happily for us, Fanny Flake has preserved a whole community of them in a risky comic 
poignant narrative that records the exuberance of their lives, the sadness of their departure. Iggy Threadgood is a true original. Huckleberry Finns would have tried to marry her. Yep. So she would have rejected and, him because she is not into that scene. <laughs> no, not at all. So, but um, but for fried green tomatoes, I give it a solid five. I think any author, and I'm you know, I'm I am a bit biased because I am a huge Fanny Flag. As soon as her books come you out, are. her and John Irving are the two no the novelists I pick up as soon as they come out. And um and you know, this captures everything and and to her credit. To be able to switch from first person to third person and back to first person and still stream that um, story narrative through and not get lost in any of the details yeah. tells you someone who's extremely talented because that's a very, very hard thing to do. So, so I'll give her that. She's accomplished in her own right. She was always on, well, was, was, was she on, she was, what was that match game? I think she was on match game, Fanny Flag was too. I think she's and, on Carol a couple of times too, huh? And and laughing and laughing, yeah. I and oh wait, what was the other Hollywood Squares? Saw her on that. These oh, guys yeah. were saying, "What the hell are you talking what about?" She ever, <laughs> I on Hee Haw. You remember Hee Haw? Yes. Yeah. Oh my God, you're showing her age. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, she's been around for. I mean, um, in America, if you grew up in America, that Fanny Flag was a fixture on a lot of game shows and stuff. You know, yeah. she would appear. You never quite knew what she was famous for. She did pop into movies. I mean, you know, she's in the next movie, the movie that we'll discuss this. She does make an appearance in that. But I've only known her for like, you know, what you're saying, match game, Hollywood Squares. Um, Is she there? Laughing. She's alive, no, she's I think. very much alive. Yeah, yeah she's got oh. a new book out. So. Oh. so, still kicking it. So this brings us. Are you looking for a graphic design that will take you to the next level? Or something that shows confidence within a growing market to help you stand out amongst the crowd? Amazing Designs gives consistent and on-brand designs whether you are looking for something conservative or you want to let your imagination soar. They bring professionalism to a high standard and they are able to visualize your ideas and give them that extra edge. Working one-on-one -on -one with their designers will give you a design that will live up to your expectations and more. Affordable, expert designs for all occasions whether it's logos, brochures, or whatever you can dream of. Amazing Designs is your to-go place for creativity and hands-on expertise. Try Amazing Designs today. Contact them via email at amazingdesigns505 at gmail.com. That's amazingdesigns505 at gmail.com or reach out by phone at Crunchy Cold 1-805-203-0427. We love them so much here at the Literary License Podcast that we use them ourselves. But I'd rather be different than be the same. So this brings us to Fried Green Tomatoes, the movie, which is the 1991 American comedy drama film directed by John Avnet and based on the Fanny Flagg 1987 novel. It was written by Flagg and Carol Sabinski and starring Kathy Bates, Jessica Tandy, Mary Stuart Masterson, Mary Louise Parker, and Cicely Tyson. The film tells the story of a housewife who is unhappy with her life, befriends an elderly lady in a nursing home, and is enthralled by the tales she tells the people she used to know. The film was released in the theaters in the United States on December 27, 1991, garnered positive re reviews from critics, and was a box office hit, grossing $119.4 million on an $11 million budget. It was nominated for two Oscars at the 64th 
Academy Awards, Best Supporting Actress for Jessica Tandy, and Best Adapted Screenplay. What we're going to do is cut to the trailer of Fried Green Tomatoes. I'll be right back. Evelyn tried food. And... I'm sorry, honey. The game's almost over. I just want to see a little bit of it. She tried romance. If I'd answered the door wearing only cellophane, would you still be watching the baseball game? No, honey. I'd probably be checking you into a loony bin. Then... Hey! She met a new friend. Mrs. Cleo Threadgood, 82-year-old widow. Imagine that. <laughs> a good friend. I hate candy bars all over the house. What a candy bar ain't gonna fetch her none. What? No, but it's 10 or 11. Who gave her some advice. You need some hormones. <laughs> and told her a story that began long ago. Did the name Itchy Threadgood ring a bell? No, ma'am. I don't think so. You'd remember her. Itchy and her friend Ruth ran the Whistle Stop Cafe. Itchy was a character, all right. If you ever touch her again, I'll kill you. Well, I sure as hell scared him, didn't I? But how anybody could have thought she murdered that man is beyond me. fooling me girly girl you're in a whole mess of trouble you understand did anybody really think she did it some said yes some said no academy award winner kathy bates well i got mad and it felt terrific to wanda to wanda and academy award winner jessica tandy how many of them hormones you taking honey Yeah. I feel better because all these people have lived as long as you remember. Friends, best friends. Yes, ma'am. What are you doing? Face it, girls. I'm older and I have more insurance. Welcome back to the Joyce's podcast. We're discussing Fried Green Tomatoes, the film from 1991. And starting with you, David, what are your thoughts of the film Fried Green Tomatoes? Um, I grew up with this movie, to be honest. I watched it when I was younger with my mom. I think this is, again, the fifth or the sixth time that I watched it. Um, love it, love it. Unfortunately, as I said before, I kind of ruined the book because I read, I watched the movie before uh, reading the book. But the movie got to be another of those movies that you have to watch at least once in your life. Really love it. Um, interesting part of the movie. I had no idea that, that there were in the world people that would be charmers, which is something I discovered thanks to the movie. And it was a very interesting thing. Um, I love also the parts when they tell about this certain stories and they go past by from person to person like obviously when uh, Nini tells the story to Evelyn but also when there's a part of E.G. telling um, the story about the frozen lake to Smokey uh, taken away by the ducks and that was told yeah. to her by the brother um, there were so many things that I loved about this movie um, obviously again I love the to one the part of Evelyn becoming a very strong powerful woman and although normally some scenes like this in reality I really really hate them but um, 
I loved the part of the scenes when Evelyn was getting angry at this teenager's girls abusing her. Oh, yeah, she said, like, how did you run into and, a car? I did it once. Six, six times. times. <laughs> um, it, it, it was funny. It was funny. I mean, it's it's one of those things when in reality, obviously, this is something that you don't want to see and it's horrible and it's ugly when things happen like this. In reality, you feel like, oh, these aged people. But in the story and in the context, it kind of made sense. So it's kind of like out of reality and I loved it. And on top of that, I love Katie Bates. Love. I'm yeah. a mum, like, watched so many movies of her. Just, I, in fact, just last week I, I watched Titanic. I love to, I, I have my routine. I watch Titanic once a year. Does. And Katie Bates is just, she's golden queen for me. And she just I don't know, me, it, no matter what she's yeah, doing. She just, whatever she, she does, she's incredible. You will her. never forget her. You never forget her. Um, inc- incredible. Like even in a in movie like Misery, even when she did American Horror Story, I just live for her. She's incredible. American Horror Story too. She did so many things. I love it. I love it. I mean, she do. She and the thing is, it took her a long time. I mean, she's in a lot of stuff before she became yeah, a star. Right. She's in Arthur too on the rocks and so on and so forth. Was she? Yep. She's the uh, she's the um, social worker who's trying to give Liza Minnelli and Arthur is. a baby. She is. No way. I've got. I. I don't. I've got to have that. Boy, I have to go back. And 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 she was on and she was on Broadway with um, Sandy Dennis, Karen Black, and Cher in um, "Come Back to the Five and Dime," Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, which was the Robert Altman play when they made a movie of it. And she appears in that, and that was. 82 sort of thing so it took her a while to but anything she is i agree with you i mean she just shines she's just one of these actresses that shines no matter you can give her mother goose nursery rhymes and she's shined doing them sort of she's very versatile i don't know if you remember the movie misery yeah. Oh, she was incredible in that one. <laughs> I just loved it. Yeah. Like the movie kidnapping of your favorite author and breaking his and hobbling his ankle mm-hmm. so he can't escape. <laughs> I yeah. mean, you know, that, that's real love for an author right there, don't you think, Barbara? <laughs> <laughs> With a friend of mine, she says, I'm your biggest fan. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> It can be quite scary. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Barbara, of the film? Oh, well, I'd watch anything with Kathy Bates, Jessica Tandy, I mean, yeah. you know, Mary Louise Parker. Every and The funniest thing is, you know, Mary Louise Parker, I keep seeing her, and in my mind, I'm also seeing her in Weeds. But I'd watch any movie with them in it. But I also like the movie better than the book because, of course, um, Ninny's still alive at the end of the movie. Yeah, Not, it's more happy ending, you know, and um, there's just um, I, it's sort of like once you, you, you know, the book is richer for all those other characters, but it's also purer for getting rid of them in the movie. I mean, the movie, you, you get the story. You know, the, it's very, it's very solid and pure without a lot of extra, extra um, people in it. But, um, I, you know, I really love the movie. And I think I've seen it a couple of times now. But and, and like I said earlier, when you when you see things at different stages of your life, you get different things out of it, I think. You're so, so 100 percent correct on that. Where you just change um, and then you see something. It's like, wow, why did that just didn't resonate when I was 20? Right. So to speak. The, only, the only thing I'm confused about in the film, basically, is Ninny Threadgood 
is her is she supposed to be edgy in the movie yeah that's, she's edgy yeah. or they yeah. allude to it very strongly they say that in wikipedia but it's not true because she's sitting there saying i i owned this house for 40 years with cleo and then she talks yeah. about you know the, so there's yeah. no way she's yeah, it, it's hard because the, it, it kind of screws you up with the, the honey at the end by roots grave and you know and I, and, it, and, and, and and Kathy and Kathy Bates or Evelyn gives her this look, and she kind of like bobs her head up and yeah. down, like yeah, you know, kind of things. Like but they don't tell you exactly. Yeah, they leave it like finale, kind of open. You see. Yeah, and I was and I was confused. Well, I was just confused because you know when it talks about Albert and Cleo, and she's talking about you know her son and things like that, and it's like, you know, and the oh, thing when is, when does that happen? Yeah. Well, I mean, because because the the I guess where the movie because this is where the movie kind of goes. It doesn't go sideways or anything like that. It just goes in a, a different direction. Is that once Ruth dies, we're assuming that Iggy's bringing up Stump, but we don't get right. any more of what happens after Ruth dies. All we get basically because when Iggy goes to court with George, Stump is no longer there, sort of thing. You know, you kind of get, you know, you kind of you get Sissy Tyson's character up in the thingy, and you got, you know, the townspeople, but Stump is not there. And, and, and so it's almost like his character's kind of bit like jesus in the bible just appears until he uh, maybe comes back at the age of 32 but, <laughs> but um but so so you're never quite sure here it is like because you know did edgy marry someone and then have another child and then, so because of that it kind of left things up in the air for me so i was i was always confused by that ending in the movie which i you know been, i didn't know that fanny flag was good friends of mary Kay ash so that explains that in the story and in the movie but you know with the beekeeper part where matt mary stewart masterson is uh got to do the where she sticks her hand in there to you know the the stunt woman had decided to bail on the movie and she either had to let the movie sink or do it herself so she did it successfully though although i would have been very nervous in having to do that that particular stunt sticking her arm in that tree with all the bees, I would have really had issues with that. But, but how did they do this scene actually? Was she she did one it. Of she actually did it. She, she did stuck it. her Mary hand Stewart. in there. I think it's yeah, not Mary really Stewart. complicated. I think you have to see where is the queen. If yeah. you don't touch the queen, the bees won't do anything. And because it's not it's not a beehive like like the normal, you know, with that house. No, it's it's, it's a colony tree. basically. Probably you will you will see the one where it, that is full hanging. So you have to just break that, and the, the bees will be around you, but they won't. I don't think they will sting you. We have hives around them. here, and I give them a yeah, huge birth. I just walk all the way around them. Yeah, I would never take the risk. I'm afraid. I mean, it's it's. Um, I can imagine it's a beautiful experience because you feel connected um, to nature, but it's scary at the same time. I've got a well, friend who keeps beehives. If you're like, if you're smoking a cigarette and you and you blow the fumes of the cigarettes to the bees, that make them go to sleep. That's why when they it relaxes they, them somehow, whatever it is. I think it's frankincense they use sometimes a very small bit. Yeah. But I'll have to ask my friend actually. <laughs> I really never really asked her what she blows all over them. I just know it's smoke. Honey, I mean, um I mean, I know that Mary Stuart Maston went uh was trained with a beach armor uh, to, to do that scene. And uh, they wanted to get a stunt person in to do that. Mary Stuart Masterson um, says that um, if I'm in a movie, I have to do my own stuff. That's always getting character. 
The interesting, I mean, I love Mary Stuart Masterson. We don't see too much of her these days, but I mean, if you look at her career, like Benny and June and some kind of wonderful and better roses, she was the little, she was the little girl in Stepford Wives because her, her father directed that movie. So, you know, she's been around since stage of three in films all the way through. So, and I had to say, I do miss her. I would like to see more Mary Stuart Masterson. She should be doing more now. So. Another interesting thing about Fried Green Tomatoes is that um, this was a very big year for women's movies at that time. Um, Fried Green Tomatoes, the reason why um, it probably didn't get as more wars is that it was up against Thelma and Louise the same uh, year. Oh, yeah, that one. Which so, one? Thelma and Louise. Oh, yeah, 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 yes. So, so Leandro, what are your thoughts of the film? Uh, well, it's not quite exactly the same as you said at the beginning than the book. The, the end has been changed a little. Um, there were moments that were like really moving, like for example, um, when Chris O'Donnell dies and it was, I think that was the first big hit that she has in her life because it was someone that she was, um, kind of in love or admire, and then she have to deal with that. And compare, com comparing with the other, what how the family deal with that, she, she was needed to go away and, and kind of do the process by herself in her own way. And it, it happened the same when Ruth died, that she was needing that thing again, you know, like kind of like disappear, for, like disconnect from the world and then come back. Uh, yeah, it was. I really enjoyed, really moving uh, movie. Um, Katie Bates, I love her. I think she should be more awarded, more. Just give her thing just in case. <laughs> uh, they say they did say it's not reasonable interpretation. You guys were asking about Iggy and uh, being one and the same as as Nini. Yeah. But so that the novel makes it more clear that Nini and Iggy are two different people, but there are scenes in which they both appear to interact with each other. But in the film, they are not reasonable interpretation. Nini says that she married Iggy's brother, Cleo, which is how she acquired the Threadgood name. Nini also states in the film that she had a crush on Buddy, which would be quite a strange thing to admit if Nini was really Edgy, since Iggy and Buddy would soon be her own brother. So I don't know. That is kind of a... It, it, I was confused. Yeah, I was I, I was confused in a, in a, a bit too, and then I thought, and then, then I I got it. Uh, I understood who was who was who in the movie, but um, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed the movie, and well, we were chatting. I remember that um, when David was uh, was telling something, and then I remember that um, well. This is this is really cool because I my mom died when I was two and a half, so this story was being telling by my dad and my stepmother, which was she wasn't there, but it was really cool, you know, when the story passes. My mom and my dad went to visit my dad's auntie, and she was really fat, but fat like obese, right? Um, they were eating, and my mom was really skinny person, but you know those type of people that can eat and never put weight. Yes, I hate well, them. I didn't inherit. <laughs> I didn't inherit that, but well, we were that. So this this 
uh, aunt, my dad auntie was criticizing her all the time about the amount of food she was eating until one day she said, well, look, this is really interesting. I eat a lot and you put on weight. And since <laughs> that day, the auntie never say anything again about food. <laughs> and I love those situations, you know, when you, in the really click, uh, clear and clever way you put someone in their place, you know, and they can't do anything at all. So, and I, I love those things, you know, because this is how, you know, this, the, as we said at the beginning, the story passes over. For example, there's um, a dish that my mom used to prepare, my stepmother used to prepare from time to time. And it's nice because, you know, it's like you eat it and then you feel like that maybe that person is, for a moment is with you, you know, like, yeah. or, or could bring that maybe when you're eating that someone will tell you a story about the person. And that's, that's uh, really nice. Well, you have nicer um, relatives than I did. I mean, I had this crabby old aunt and we went to her house one day and um, she was giving us dinner. And I said, my mom peels the cucumbers. And she goes, I'm not your mom. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you? I don't remember, but I'd still remember. Because I was really fussy. Like, I wouldn't eat anything. So my mom would peel the cucumbers. And she, you know, and my aunt was like, well, I'm not your mom. So eat it. Your mom was good people. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I really, really enjoy this movie. This is... Um, but I, I watched it, interesting. I watched this movie last year and I watched it again. And you know, when, when you watch a movie and you don't mind, I, I would watch it again, I don't know, soon because the story is really, really nice. And something that I really like at the end is that when Evelyn went to the graveyard and she saw a little letter that it was impossible that has been being written by, um, um, uh, what's her name? Sorry. I think that um, E.G. E was wrote a letter for um, Ruth, which, which had been impossible because by that time she was dead, but it was there. So for me, it was like, okay, she found a way of the, the story carry on going. That's how I un understood it. I don't know. Um, I don't know what do you think about that. Maybe I'm wrong. So. I really, really like that that touch at the end of the movie. So I, I yeah. thought I, I was kind of more interested in the trial and and what went on and and, and how the, the the pastor brought in his cop was it encyclopedia or a thesaurus or whatever so he could swear on that Bible so because he was going to lie to get them out yes. of the trouble they got into, you know when the when the black gentleman was you know going to obviously going to be lynched if to just put it. <laughs> for real because that's probably what would happen they wanted blood and they didn't want the, a girl's or a white woman's blood it was his they wanted mm. but you know and then they kept coming back and trying to investigate the story and that's where you know was it um they uh <clears throat> they cooked the body i guess i'm trying to figure out yes. who, who okay who did they feed the bar was that just special barbecue no this is no this is this is what happened they, special, well, I know what happened, but I was trying to figure out. I know that they they cut up the body and everything else, but I was trying to figure out was that just special barbecue for the detectives? They did set that aside, but normally no, no, this is, right. this is what happened. They said that the the secret was in the sauce, right? <laughs> and I tell you this because something they like they barbecued the body. The, no, that was barbecue. No, 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 yeah, no, no. they they ate the body, Leandro. That's yeah. how they hid him. 
when yeah. they killed him. Well, well, he didn't make I, a barbecue sauce. He was the meat. I don't think that the thing happened. Like, look, I will tell you what happened. This is this is not this is a real wait. This is a real story that happened in Argentina, right? A lady killed someone that was annoying her. She the man was abusing her, so she killed him. And do you know how they trapped her? She was cutting. She used to work as a butcher, so she know how to cut meat. She used all the body of the of the man that she could do to make food, and people buy it, buy it, and and, and enjoy it. But they discovered because she couldn't get rid of the bones, hmm. right? So what I think that happened wood in this chipper. always a wood chipper. <laughs> what I think that happened in this story is like they throw the body to the pigs, and the part that they couldn't pigs will eat anything. Yes, the part they couldn't they couldn't use they said, to feed the pigs. With that, they made like a, a sauce or a base to cook. And that's what they feed the... the well, the if you notice when they flashed to the, the grill, that, that yes. rack of ribs, that was not a pig. They were cooking him and feeding it too. They were saying the secret was in the sauce because he liked the barbecue so much. They And in the book, it explained they fed that man to the detectives. Right. Well, you yeah. remember... Well, Remember Roald Dahl, um, Lamb to the Slaughter? Yeah, the leg of lamb. I love that story. That was not yeah. an original idea. Yes. <laughs> I guess it happened. I wouldn't put it past anybody. Well, in Lamb I'm to the Slaughter, in Lamb to the Slaughter, she, yeah, she, she fed them the murder weapon, which was the lamb yes. thing when it was frozen. Yeah. So that, she, that, 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 that story is really cool. Yeah. What story is that? It's called the leg of lamb. Slaughter. Yeah, there's a short story where a woman kills her husband with a frozen like a lamb. Leg of lamb. Girl, you ever read that? And she feeds it to the detectives, and so now the murder weapon is gone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, you love it. That? Do you know who the author is? Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl. Okay, I have not read that. Giant okay. Peach and all that. Material. Yes, Charlie in the Ch <laughs> Chocolate Factory. We should read one of those. The week. Yeah, I've read those, but I have not read that story. Yeah, that was a good story. Um, Raw Dahl wrote a bunch of short stories, and basically they they were all kind of filmed. I think I don't know if that one was filmed. They were filmed in Tales of the Unexpected. Yes. Right. Right. So if you watch that old show from the seventies, they were they took all those stories and filmed them. They were all based on his adult short stories, gotcha. which were all a bit macabre. Yeah, I think they were made yeah. by Spielberg or not. No, they were ma uh, made by amazing there, stories. Maybe there, there was an IT, it was an ITV series that yes. was, that aired here in the seventies. Because Roald Dahl was English, very English, so they yeah. were made for here. And I have these. I have to look those stories up. I love short stories. This is I this is from Roald Dahl called the Tweets. I yeah. love that. Uh, yeah, I've been to the museum. But again, but again, the, the friendship was definitely. <laughs> first and foremost i really one of my favorite parts is when uh Iggy and ruth are on the train throwing food to all those yes. yeah that was really cool and, and it's from the book that was different from the book in the book someone else threw the food from the train well i yeah. don't know because in the books it tell you that they could never find the person they, they were saying there was someone it was a bandit right? i think but they could never they could never find that person then mm. in a moment i thought well what about this you know when you said oh no Peter has been doing these graffitis at night, and but no one like Banksy, and no one knows Banksy in real life. So when I saw in the movie, I thought, well, maybe it could be that she was doing it, and then create like a a name. Well, in the book, they do. They there is a a small segment where 
Buddy says that he walked into Iggy and Ruth and um, their faces are covered in black. Oh. So so they he didn't say that it was them, but it was kind of it could have been them. Yeah. Cause they 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 cause they didn't tell him that it was them. They he's kind of like he's piecing pieces together, sort of thing. So what about yourself, Craig? What are your thoughts of the film? Um I love the, the scenes with the with the steam trains. Um to see how magnificent they are and it was really sad that Iggy lost her brother in the who was killed buddy who was killed by the train. That was really sad. Um, but I like how it interwines into the 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 whole location. I love the 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 massive wide panning shots of the 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 um the diner and um just um I, I like the bit the confrontation scenes with the abusive husband. Yeah, it was really shocking when he pushed, he kicked her down the stairs, knowing that she was pregnant as well. Um, he was such I, a nice I, guy, wasn't he? <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I love it when she turned to him and Iggy said, "If you touch her again, I'll kill you." I thought, yeah, good. Um, and um, the court scenes were quite moving as well. When they said that they loved each other, that was that was really touching. I, I felt quite emotional, and um, that's when I realized like what the film, the the, the love aspect of the movie between. The, the characters and I, I really liked um is it big George but I felt he was quite vulnerable because during that time everybody he, loved Ruth in the movie because I think big George would be like the fool guy because if anything went wrong in the town they're just gonna, literally gonna hang him just because he's black that, that's what they were planning to do yeah, <laughs> they wanted to scary douchebags you know, I, I they had enough people dying and being more wounded, grievously wounded by those trains. You'd think they'd put up a safety uh, <laughs> gate at some point. Something, yeah. anything. Please don't put your feet in here. <laughs> then again, we had a railway down by my house where I grew up, and that was an active. Well, your sister Keith lives down by there, and that was an active, very active railway once upon a time. And we used to ride our bikes to see who could beat the train across to the other side. Kids are just stupid, okay? <laughs> we would always put the quarters and the pennies on it so it'd smush them down and, you know. But, yeah, kids are stupid around trains. They really are, speaking from experience. Wow. But I did my but, but what I did like about Itchy, though, is when I cannot remember the sheriff. I think he liked her, but he was in the Klan, and she goes, well, you all need to change your shoes when you put those bed linens <laughs> over your head. Because <laughs> like we all know we are just by your shoes, you dumbass, you know. I like the main sheriff, the big guy. The big guy, yeah. What was his, his name? name One who had a crush. Grady. Grady. Yes, yes. Yeah. Love Digi. And I didn't realize he was the sheriff until I actually saw the badge. I thought, oh, I said to my mom, I said, oh, no, he's the sheriff. He, he's actually one of the sheriffs in the town. And... um. But yeah, it was um, it was really good, and, I, and even the music was nice. I liked the soundtrack. Yeah, there was just something about the whole movie. It was just presented. It just well, there was tragedy, and there was drama, and there was sadness, yeah. and there was happiness. But all the emotions that they how they put that movie together were very very resonant with people. I think it was a feel good movie, even though it was sad, because there's not one episodic thing that didn't happen in there that probably hasn't happened to any of us. You know, there's loss, there's love, there's happiness, there's dissatisfaction. I mean, it just covered the 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 gamut of emotion that life just throws at you. I mean, that's why I liked it so much anyway. 
I and mean, then, I think the, that, and um, then the, the, the pure love of two women. I mean, that's really what it was. They loved each other, whether it was something physical or not. They just actually loved each other. Well, and then and then and then um, Evelyn and Ninny's friendship. I mean, that was yeah. that, too. I mean, so much, you know, about women that people really don't get how women tick. They really don't. Whoever directed this movie my, really my got dad, that. My dad worked in old people's homes when I was a kid. So I, and my mom was a cleaner in one of them as well, which I later went on to work in in dementia care. So it's like I was I was brought up around all different nursing homes and going into each room and there was like a different life story to be told. And I was only like five years old and I used to make friends of all the all the grandmas and granddads. And it was it was quite it was nice. It was, a, it was really nice. You know, you could you could write a book just going to an old people's home, you know. You, you oh, gosh. Yeah, absolutely. You know. And they have stories to tell. And, you know, when you go into places like that, they so want to tell their stories. Yeah. That's all they want to do is talk about back way back then. And they have long-term memory, but they don't have memory for me. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. This is a long-term memory. I really like at the end when when Ruth was asking to tell the story about the ducks. Yeah. And then I love that because she said, can you tell me the story about the ducks? And she said, but you have heard this story several times. I said, well, please do it one more time. And then that was really sad because she was asking like a story like to try to like leave this planet you know with something yeah. like really nice you know and it was for me it was really moving on and, and and she knew that uh while she was telling the story that, that the other one was yeah. leaving yeah. you know i thought it was a nice touch when uh sepsi when sepsi came in or cecily tyson and put the cover was it the mirror and then shut stop the clock from they don't do that anymore. I've only seen that once. That kind of just gave me the chills thinking about my auntie doing that like 40 years ago when somebody died 50 yeah. years ago. Do you know why they cover the pictures? Huh? Cover the pictures in the mirror. Cover the pictures in the mirror because you need to be thinking about the dead or the departed. And if you have a mirror there, that means you're looking at yourself. Well, and also, if you're even more superstitious, you don't want the spirit plane to be... You, that you you don't want to pay attention to that, so to speak. So you want that person to move on. Spirits have been known to interrupt things and souls and whatnot. Don't say yeah, Jewish mirror. Jewish people cover the uh, mirrors when someone dies. I mean, still, I haven't seen it, that and, beyond. Well, the, the um, Jewish faith they still do that, and they and you're not allowed to sit. You're supposed to be sitting on wooden yeah. chairs and stuff because it's not about you. It's about remembering yeah and and mirror and mirror and mirrors are put on the face of the earth because they're about your vanity so so that's the reason behind it all so i mean i have to i mean um i like the movie a lot but you know to play a little bit of devil's advocate i do think that um i think the lesbianism is very very shoved to the back here with the movie they did that on purpose. Uh, they did that on purpose. Well, they I did. Think- they did on purpose because at that time, gay rights was was forbidden to be shown and stuff like this on television because of the AIDS crisis and stuff like this. And of course, they wanted to make their money back and they wanted to be known as a lesbian film, and no one would go to it at that time. Of course, I think if it was made today. They probably could put probably a little bit more in that. So I mean, even because I mean, even like um, I know I kind of watched this closely because you know. I I was always a fan of the book anyway, and I'm a fan of the movie. 
but I did watch to see if there's like any stolen glances with each other or anything like that. But in the, I think we can say in the movie that they're not lesbians; they're just friends. Well, they said because that, it, I read in Wikipedia that the food fight is supposed to be yeah symbolic of their real relationship. Yeah, but I, I mean, as I saw, it. but 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 if you look at but if you look at when Ruth dies, there's no pictures of Iggy anywhere in the. No, in the, in the in her room when she dies, there's no. They had there's one picture to together. I know they did have one picture together. They had their arms. Yeah, but what them. what I'm saying though, when you finally do get insight into the home of Iggy and Ruth as Ruth is passing, there is nothing to sit there and say that Iggy and Ruth occupy no. the same room. No, no, exactly, picture. no. Well, it's like it's like Mary, the Mary Tyler Moore show, and she and Dick Van Dyke had separate beds. <laughs> yeah. It's all so, the time you're in, right? Yeah. So I mean, you could feed into it, but I, you know, but I was actually kind of looking, looking, looking for that, just because it's like I thought that because the thing is, there were gay movies coming out in the '80s. There was all kinds of gay movies coming out. That's why if I was if you, if you, no, let's let's put this in perspective. And between 1986 to 1995, if you did a gay movie, they always died of AIDS by the end of the movie. That's a different thing. Lesbians so, always. In a lesbian relationship, someone always dies. Did you notice yeah, that? You know, uh, that? Yeah, I have it, noticed that. It's, so I got nothing. You know, even even when you talk about personal best with Mariel Hemingway and um, Rachel Ward or whatever. So, but you know, so I was kind of like, so I was actually looking at it because I know everyone's going. Oh, the thing is, I never actually picked up on the lesbianism in the movie at all. I pick it up in the book a lot. It's subliminal. It's there, but I, I don't. You know, it, it, it's not overtly in your face or anything else. Yeah. You got to kind of figure out what these two women love each other and just make your own mind up about it. I figured, you know. Well, the thing is, is it, I mean. I, I, to, to show Iggy's love for Ruth, you can't because she's a tomboy and all the other stuff that goes on with it. You can understand the Iggy, but you're never quite sure if Ruth is reciprocating any of this emotion back at her. That maybe they're just friends, even though that one might be in book. love with the other. Yeah, I think yeah. it's clearer in the book than the movie. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, they did say she fell in love with her. I mean, they say that you know both mm-hmm. sides in the book, but not in the movie. Yeah. And in the movie, that you 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 can see where it they do show that Iggy's in love with Ruth, but they don't really show Ruth reciprocating that love at any point. But they're not reciprocating okay. the love in that capacity. They're just very strong for each other. They're there for each other. Well, what yeah, I- but you but but you but you can get that with friends, right? Just because two women, two just because two women are supporting each other, and they can have a strong friendship connection. Well, also, I think in the time when they have the birthday party, when Ig has that birthday for her, and then mm-hmm. they end up swimming in the lake, and, yeah. and you can tell they really love each other, and then she says, "I'm going to go back and marry this guy because that's what I'm supposed to do." Yeah. yeah, she's like, you know, she doesn't want to. I mean, who picked that yeah. douchebag for a husband is what I want to know. What were well, they the reason, thinking? Yeah, but yeah, but I think the book. This is where the book makes it a bit more clear. This is because, to be honest, what happened was her father died. She took care of her father. There's no one right. to take care of her mother. Right. Frank Bennett, on the outside, was a very respectable person in his community. As we know, with most people anyway, you can, you know, whether it's Michael Jackson, Bill Cosby, or anyone else, they can be very respectable on the outside. But once you get behind closed doors, they can turn into who you can turn into whoever you want to. Oh, no um, I think, and I kind of wish the scene was in the film that wasn't in the book where Frank Bennett had a glass eye. 
and yeah. he doesn't have a glass eye in the film. But what was very interesting is when this drunk hobo yeah. goes into the bar and, right. he has, and, he, and Frank goes up to him and goes, can you tell which one's the glass eye? And he points it out right. and Frank's kind of taken back. And then Frank Bennett leaves the bar and the bartender asks, how do you know? He goes, he goes, it's the one that had the most life in it. That's how he could tell because his real eye is basically dead. His real right. his eye basically is just a horrible person. And I thought that was quite an interesting thing that you got in the book. And it was quite nice that they had that in the movie a little bit or a little bit more about Frank Bennett's character because Frank Bennett is very a 2D character in this. Right, in this right. Because then in the movies around about, you know, starts off about the murder and it's like it goes to the murder and it kind of ends with the murder and the, the trial. But Frank Bennett is very, very... You don't know a lot, and it, they do hint around. It would have been nicer to fill his character out a little bit he's, more. He's a cartoon villain, people. definitely. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, and then when you find out the reason why the Frank Bennett became the way he does, doesn't explain, you know, doesn't excuse his behavior, but it makes sense of his behavior. Like, you know, in love with his mother, and he cries his mother having an affair and his father, and that kind of ruins his whole thing about women and all the other stuff that goes with it. Which kind of flushes his character out a little bit more than, but the movie he's very two D, sort of thing, you know. And you don't get, and you don't, you don't get a big feeling about Troutville, you know, the the black community at all. You kind of get it through his itchy, you know. Everything takes place through the fried green tomatoes cafe. So if it doesn't happen there, it's not happening anywhere. So I thought that was quite interesting how they were able to do that with the movie. Of course, I mean the movie, the movie is. I think just t reaching two hours. So if they did put all this stuff in, we're probably looking at a mini series anyway. So you can't do that. You got to so. say you can't. You can't say that the Atlanta chapter of the National Railway Historical Society didn't put up a lot of information for this, but they had a lot to do with this movie being filmed. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. interesting. What, what I really and I kind of would. I, what Leandro? What I really liked was like. Well, we all know that there was a relationship between Ruth and, and E.G., but I like the way in the movie is shown. It's like, we know, it's like the, there's no, they're not even kiss each other, but you know, there's something going on. And I like the way like they give you like kind of hints. For example, there was one moment that E.G. is dressed as a man and Ruth is dressing as a girl. And then they were, when they're in the kitchen and then they're playing with food or when they go and have the picnic, and you know that something's going on and they know that they love each other, but it's not that there's no need to show you, I don't know, kissing or having a sexual scene to... You don't have that. to show that to show two people love each other. And yeah. that's why I thought it was beautifully done in yeah. this movie. That's why I enjoyed it so much. They loved uh, each other, but they didn't They didn't have to, you know, they kept it well, uh, the way they I'm not, kept I'm it. Not I'm not saying they're saying that they needed a sex scene or a kiss scene. No, but that the food scene was I, but, supposed but, to be but, but, but I do but I do think that they kind of made it so it was safe for middle America. Right. Yes. That's what they I'm saying. Safe. Not fish for the word. You're right. It was a safe way to present this film. But then it, see, now, so but, you, but you know how we always talk about this, like the color purple of things like that. Mm -hmm. There's a whole lot of stuff that needs to be addressed in these films, and people find a good way to bring it across. So that people in middle America say, wow, that's a bullshit or wow, that was terrible. Or maybe it just reaches that that additional audience. And, you know, and just, wow, I didn't know that. That was, well, that was horrible that happened. Living in Florida, where books are being banned by the hour, any book that deals with racism and lesbianism 
so out of here. <laughs> I mean, if they this book came boots. out right now, if this book came out right now, it would be banned. Oh, they wouldn't ban. They're just trying to get rid of that CRT stuff, I think. But well, I, I mean, no, but I don't think you should be in any books, but I'm really cautious I, I about I what agree. I don't agree. Um, because you haven't seen the book, the, the list of banned books, anything that has a gay character or talks about rape, you know, slavery or anything that's historical, out, out, out. And um, it's really frightening, actually. Um, you know, and and any crazy parent can just say, I don't want, I don't want that book. And it's, you know, it's not literally banned, but it's taken off the shelf and it takes so long to even look for anyone to look at it that it's banned. And um it's and there's people storming the the school boards that don't even have kids <laughs> you know and they're and they're demanding books be be banned and um you know it's it's a very scary time right now and this book if this book came out right now where people were reading it what the way it describes what you know the lynching and you know the, the black I guess on that note, I guess we should write the film. <laughs> so, <laughs> starting with you, David, um, what, what's your, um, how many stars do you give this? Uh, definitely a five stars out of five. I, I'm so I, glad I, you didn't give it a zero. Oh, no, 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 absolutely <laughs> loved it. Like every, every, every movie in comparison we've done, I think so far, I've loved every, every movie and I've actually watched them already in the past. It is um, a feel-good movie. It's a great. It's movie. it's it's an incredible story. Um, the the main two themes that actually got into my heart is basically yes, the theme of community, which I think it was most the central part. Which is why I think they didn't focus on the romantic love, whatever, etc. Which is not the main focus of the story. It's more about the fact that of the community, you know, the kind of like the empowerment of Evelyn because she kind of got part of the sort of community thing thanks to uh, Nini or for example Ruth becoming more like free from the abusive husband because of Iggy but also the community and the fact that they were helping in the in the cafe every person that was feeding them everyone for free well not everyone but like a lot of people for free so it's definitely like the female community and also the wisdom and the knowledge passed from generation to generation I think these two topics are just beautiful and the fact that you know these days we kind of like at, at least that's my my view on this it's kind of we live in a world where you know it's it's, it's so individualistic which is from a, for a little bit okay because we are individual but at the same time we've lost the idea of what the importance of community and then even our elders who are basically in the past we used to think considered the, the old people being people keeping all the knowledge and the wisdom of the past etc and now they they kind of like thrown away and then they kind of like useless and nobody cares about the elders you know so it makes you think you know those are two incredible topics and themes to talk about so definitely love the, the challenge uh thinking of the book definitely loved it well by yourself craig how many stars do you give fried green tomatoes the film um i'll give it a five and when me and my mum were watching this movie, we thought, oh, this is a really nice movie. And we were like, why did Keith choose this movie? And we were like, it's not really something Keith would have chosen. And then suddenly there was a cannibalistic <laughs> barbecue scene. 
And then you're like, this that was is the like, best part. I don't know why like, nobody likes the cannibal <laughs> part except me. <laughs> and true to the nature, it was excellent and it was really good. And what about yourself, Leandro? Uh, oh, I'm debating between the four and the five, <laughs> but I will give you the five, in the, even though they changed a bit the end because it's not the same in the book. But I, I like it, and I don't know if you know this, but we have a phrase in Argentina saying that the the kitchen in the house is like the heart of the house because it's where everything happens. And I like it because when they open this bar for a moment, it's like it, that was like where everyone was going, happening, you know, all, everyone was passing there. And it was like a kind of like it was a hard open for everyone because even though the black people were not allowed, blah, blah, blah. She was saying, no, no, they can allow, they're allowed. They can sit on the back of the building. No one could bother them. And then everyone is welcome. So, yeah, I really like the story. Uh, yeah, and the message and everything. So we survived. Well, you saw Vix. How many stars do you give this? Oh, I've got to give that a five. It's just like one of the I, every time it's on, I'll watch it. You know, not on streaming, but if I see it and it's on cable, I'll keep it on just because it just I just like the interact. I just like how the friendships evolve. It's just such a pretty. It's a beautiful movie. It might be a chick flick. I don't know, but y'all seem to like it and you're dudes. So, but I mean, it's just it's well, a feel good movie. What'd you say? We're all gay as well. So I'm, oh, I said we're all so gay. So why has that got to do with anything? <laughs> <laughs> what about yourself, Barbara? How many stars do you give it? Oh, definitely a five. And you know, the one thing I, I wanted to say too is about like, it's also about, about taking care of each other, but also human kindness. I mean, you know, it was during the depression, right? Yeah. I mean, and so they were feeding the people that, you know, they had a, a big homeless population, yeah. of course, echoes what we have now. And, you know, but they they had no qualms about, you know, feeding them no matter who came around, they fed them. And then the whole throwing the food off the trains, you know, yeah. they, you know, they were going to feed people. And that was to them express an expression of love. And that's a theme that goes from the beginning all the way to the end with the appendix and the recipes. And, and the fact that the fried green tomatoes was her birthday present. So food is love. And I'm going to have to, I just didn't have, they didn't have the recipes in my Kindle version. I know, they don't have them. I feel kind of ripped off right now. The, <laughs> like, no, what happens when you kid. don't read a real book? <laughs> I've got my real Kindle books. Version. i got a little house, though. I've got a whole wall of books in one little room. Oh. Now, come on, um, imagine that you have a library where you live, right? Where you can get it. <laughs> the, the, re the, rest, the recipes are, are in my Kindle version. Not mine. Yeah. I don't know. I have it. I have it in here. Yeah, they're they're in my Kindle version. I um, I, I'm going to give this a solid five. I think it's a really really good movie. I do prefer the book a little bit more, only because I love I love more of the characters like and a lot. Of, lo well, I also like the backgrounds, and I like and I like knowing more about Frank Bennett. And I like knowing about all the subsidiary characters, and I love knowing about the community. The film's more about the four women. Where the book is more about the community and everything going on in the community. So I guess, and I quite like the, the community behind them as well, sort of thing, which I do understand. You can't really put all that. In I the wish they would have put otherwise. it together a little more, though, in the film. That's my only gripe because the, the book, you know, it's, it, they left me thinking that Iggy and Nini were the same person, but they mm. weren't because the history doesn't add up even in the movie. But they don't clarify any of that. So I guess you're supposed to walk away thinking 
possibly. I don't know. Yeah. I would I would have liked I would have liked Nini Threadgood to have died and then to have and then she gets the and then she gets the trinkets. And how and how that how that would have spread that for me that would have been a bit more a more poetic. This yeah. kind of feels like a tacked on happy ending happy for ending. me. Yeah. Like where she brings Which her made. <laughs> like she moves her in the house and all that other stuff. That's just I think that's I, I liked it. I don't know. I mean, um, it's okay, but it I mean, but it does have this tacked on happy ending situation towards it sort of thing where the book is a bit more the book to me was a bit more realistic, you know, because yeah. What you got with Nini is like when Evelyn would show up, Nini's dress would be inside out. And the thing is that, you know, she's getting older and then she's waiting for her time to go. And then when she dies, she dies very peacefully and all the other stuff. And and I and I quite liked all that. In the book. They never so did say that, what kind I, of cancer she had, though. Did they? It doesn't matter. I think when you're 90 years old, I don't think it matters what kind of cancer you no, have. No, I was so. talking about Ruth, what kind of cancer <laughs> she had, dummy. Um, she, had, she had ovian cancer. Was it ovian and then went to the pancreas yeah. as well, if I remember well. Okay, because I didn't see that. I was trying to figure so, out what she had. Oh, no, I mean in the book, but, uh, I don't remember it in the movie. In the movie, she kind of just had, you know, that she also said, I remember Ruth, when Ruth died, and it's kind of just went into that. They didn't really go into a lot of detail. And I think, this, and now, but saying that, I do love the film a lot. So I'm, I'm going to give it a solid five. So, and I'm sure if I had never read the book, I'd probably would still hold this as a pinnacle movie, a, f- a film about, you know, females, empowerment, and um, and basically, and I love things that kind of reflects, but it does kind of give a gloss, it does have a glossy version of the 20s and 30s and 40s as well, so it's kind of like this glossy version of all that, which I well, quite, the book I mean, starts I quite out like in the 20s and 30s, and the, and the movie kind of starts out in the early 1900s, so it's kind it's, of... It's so- yeah, but if you ever notice, if you notice the way that the movie is filmed, if, you, if when they flash back, there is a gloss over the film. There, there's a you know, like in like a very glossy because you're remembering and you, you know we kind of remember the past is something that maybe a bit more true, glorious true. than what the, the reality is. And the book is a bit more. Yeah. The book, the book is a bit more realistic because I mean you do get the racist thing in there. You do kind of get. You know, and, and just a lot of little details are going on, sort of thing. So, so it's not being painted. We're here, you know, it's kind of be painted like Little House on the Prairie. You know, like Little House on the Prairie is like this glossy version of life and life in the Midwest. But let's face it; I mean, these people had no bathroom. They're going to an outhouse, and basically, they 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 could die from a common cold at any moment. Though they don't, you know, <laughs> but they don't in this world, sort of thing. So. But saying that, I mean, you know, but I, you know, but I do like that. That's what I quite like about the movie. That it does have this, you know, I don't want a gut wrenching, you know, people dying of Claudia, Cl- uh, Claudia, and all the other stuff that's going on. At the time, you know what I mean? And like long, you know, Ruth's long illness and what that really would have meant, you know, with her dying of cancer wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been as picturesque as you've seen. It wouldn't have been like the light, you know, light flowing through the window and all the other stuff, sort of thing. Well, I guess that brings us to the end of the Literary License Podcast. Next week, um, we will be doing Batman, the animated series. And, of course, our um, remake make will be uh, Salem's Lot. 
the <laughs> two miniseries from 1977 and 2004. And of course, our Eminem, Monsters and Mad Men, will be covering um, Deliverance from 1976. And we'll also be calling Race with the Devil from 1973. Our next America Goes Dark book will be Lovely Bones by Alice Bold about a girl who gets murdered by a, a serial killer and a pedophile and how her ghost has to sit there and make sense of this. You never read that book. Oh, so it's good night for myself. Good night, Barbara. Night. Thank you for, for another rousing. Uh... <laughs> we always like it when you're here. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to meet everybody, too. Mm-hmm. Good night, Leandro. Good night, everyone. Good night, Craig. Good night. And don't forget, I'm doing um, the Doctor Who the Sensor Rights night. All that will be next week, uh, next Tuesday. You do Doctor uh, Who what, hon? It's the Sensor Rights from 1964. We were doing from season one. Oh, yeah, Doctor Who. I forgot Doctor Who. Yeah, Doctor Who's the Sensor Rights this month, sorry, which aired in 1964. So, yeah, that thing's and good night to you, David. Hi, everyone. Good night. Good night, Vix. Happy Easter, everybody. Happy Easter. Yes, good night. It's good night for myself. If you ever find yourself stuck in the middle of the sea, I'll sail the world to find you. If you ever find yourself lost in the dark and you can't see, I'll be the light to guide you. Find out what we're made of. Call to help our friends in need You can't count on me Like one, two, three I'll be there And I know when I need it I can count on you Like four, three, two And you'll be there Cause that's what friends are supposed to do Oh yeah And you're turning and you just can't fall asleep I'll sing a song beside you And if you ever forget how much you really mean to me Every day I will remind you Oh, Find out what we're made of When we are called to help our friends in need you can't count on me like one, two, three, I'll be there. And I know when I need it, I can count on you like four, three, two, and you'll be there. Cause that's what friends are supposed to do, oh yeah.
That's what friends are supposed to do. Oh yeah. Ooh. ooh, ooh. 